Welcome sports fans to the hottest sports podcast in the game, JT and the Don, with your hosts, Jimmy Thompson and Donato Bucci. They're covering the most current issues in sports from the 305 to the 412 and all the way to the West Coast. You can follow them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at JT and the Don or email them at JT and the Don at gmail.com. Now take it away, guys. Welcome to the next episode of JT and the Dawn. I am the Dawn, Donato Bucci. And remember to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and whatever platform you listen to all of your other favorite podcasts. And remember, please leave us a five-star review. We have a great show today for all of you, all of our loyal listeners and fans. We got multiple guests on this episode of JT and the Dawn. We'll be talking NBA, college football, and JT and I will wrap up the show talking some NFL. So speaking of JT, let me welcome in everyone's favorite JT, Jimmy Thompson. How you feeling today? I'm feeling absolutely great. I won't be saying any jokes or smart remarks because I don't want to make anybody upset. Um, Are you having a good day? Don, everything's good? Yes, sir. See, we're going to be right. very professional today. We have multiple guests, so we got to be on our best behavior. Uh, that's mainly you, JT. So, Bro, you're I, so lucky we have guests. Like, can I, I, I'm, I, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm in the mood to make fun of you today, but we have guests, professionalism. Okay, are you done interrupting? Can we begin the actual show? Oh, yes, sir. Go ahead, right uh, to the guests. All right, so let's welcome in our first guest in the leadoff spot. He's actually coming back on the show. So I guess he liked us enough to come back on. So we're, we're thankful for him. Rob Givens, our basketball expert. We brought him in to talk some NBA. Rob, welcome back. Thanks again, man. How you doing? I'm great. Thanks for you guys having me. Absolutely. Anytime, anytime. So Rob, right off the bat, NBA and the draft. So coming straight to you on this. Last Wednesday night, the NBA held its annual draft of amateur players. This year, it took place in November instead of the normal month of June and was held virtually. However, the draft had a lot of talent uh, that will help the league almost immediately. So want to get your overall thoughts on this year's specific draft. Me personally, I think it was a pretty good – it was a deep draft. There was guys that were – would be lottery picks in previous years, fell to the second round. I think I think a lot of teams did well, you know, some not so much, but I feel like there's going to be a good influx of talent coming in the league this year opposed to other drafts. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with you there. Uh, do you Would you say this was one of the more, like, deeper drafts that you could recall? Not so much maybe top-heavy, but just throughout, you could find great picks mid to late first round where they can actually contribute right away and actually maybe all-stars in a year or two. Yeah, for sure. Like, I feel like there's a lot of guys that can come in and produce right away, whether it's starting or or in the rotation opposed to previous years. Yeah, and JT and Rob – you know, the one thing my thought on the draft was I was in, let, let me know how you guys feel about this. Maybe I'm way off base, but I was surprised and at the same time disappointed that there were no big trades at the top of the draft. I know JT leading up to you had talked about maybe Oklahoma City doing something or Minnesota trading out of it. And 
even though I kind of criticized you for it. You did. I could you, never... were nervous. you were nervous for a second because you saw all these pieces starting to be moved before the draft, and you're like, is he really going to pull it off? And does he, Who does he know in, in like inside the NBA? But, no, I agree. We were talking about that watching the draft that every time you saw a pick, you're like, all right, here comes a trade, and it never came. It, that's why I was nervous because I didn't want to have to give you credit on air. But, <laughs> but I was actually disappointed that didn't happen because – like Rob said, there's so much talent later on that you could have traded out of that top three, top five pick, traded down, maybe pick up a first rounder next year or a veteran piece along with a couple picks later on in the first round. So I was definitely surprised and disappointed uh, about that. And then my, my other question, then we'll move on to winners and losers of the draft. Rob specifically, JT, you know, Feel free to jump in. Maybe I'm off base again, but I feel like we're starting to see the Golden State-Houston effect on the draft every year, particularly this one, in where they're taking guys who can shoot, who are skilled enough to create their own shot, and not necessarily maybe the best all-around player or even the best big guy. Ironically, though, Golden State took James Wiseman, who was a big, but are we seeing some of the Golden State-Houston effect or am I kind of blowing it out of proportion? No, I feel like there is, especially with more emphasis on three-point shooting and floor spacing. You know, not every team can do that, but a lot of teams are trending towards that way with smaller lineups that can spread the floor, more room for playmakers where you don't have a big just that can't move just clogging the lane up to where they can't do anything. Yeah, I agree with him on that. Uh, also, too, I mean, Rob says this all the time, especially when it – you know, it comes playoff time, you know, you want to cover those guys that could, you know, put it on the floor and get their own shot because those are the guys that, you know, make a difference, you know, regardless of the defensive matchups when the games really matter. So if teams felt that they were, you know, guys that can get their own shots in this draft, I mean, you almost have to prioritize them over, you know, like the guys that are old, have the overall skill set. Uh, I definitely think you see the NBA going that way because the Warriors at one time, they had, you know, three guys that could do that. So, you know, you're going up against, you know, teams like that. You got to have something, to, you know, to fire back with. All right. So you're going to call this my topic question. I don't give a damn because it is. So uh, we're going to talk about winners and losers of the draft. So every year, you know, there's those teams who win a draft on paper as well as certain players who win a draft by going to the perfect fit for them or they're drafted higher than they're expected. So, Rob, you know I'm coming to you first. You're the expert. Which player or players won this year's draft by being drafted to a good fit? Um, most people are not going to know this, but I feel like the Wiseman to the Warriors is, is going to be huge for them because um, he's a big, and I actually personally know his trainer because he trains down here in Miami, and I've seen the work he's been putting in, and he's an agile 7-1 He's got a strength and conditioning coach I see that comes down here, but his skills training, it's going to help really with the Warriors on how they're going to play. And I feel like, believe it or not, he's going to take a, take the Warriors a step above. If they would have had Clay, they could have been finals worthy. But without him, you know, Wiseman's going to surprise a lot of people. Ooh, I know you heard that. That's inside information. My man said he know the trainer. Breaking news on the podcast. <laughs> Wiseman. NBA MVP first season out. That's why we that's why we got Rob on the show. He brings those tidbits that that we don't have. We Rob, got him in the streets working. 
Rob, before I, I give you my answer, I want to ask you a question. Sorry to throw you off here. Should have probably asked it in the opening segment there. Best overall player in this draft, would you say it was Wiseman or do you think it was Anthony Edwards or LaMelo? Forget where, forget fit, forget, you know, all that other stuff, the age, forget all of that. Just forget best age. all, <laughs> well, because some guys <laughs> no, are younger and some guys are older yeah. still, right? And LaMelo played professionally, but just overall, who would you have put number one? You Forget pieces, just picking up on, on the playground. Who's that one guy, if you knew all of their talent, who's the one guy you want on your team that's the best on the court? Me, I'm taking Wiseman because he's so athletic. And then, like I said, I know his trainer, and I've seen the work he's been putting in and what type of skills he brings. He's already a natural shot blocker. He's going to rebound. And his outside shooting is, is getting it's, – it's there, and it's going to be even more enhanced now that he's in the NBA – gets to work on it me personally i would have chose wiseman got it yep okay i like that uh the winner of this draft in terms of a player guys I, i'm gonna go patrick williams he went number four to the bulls he was the biggest riser in this draft he only played one season at florida state basically came off the bench was projected to be like a late first rounder at one point and all of a sudden has the skyrocket rise to the top five? I'm not saying he's worthy of it. I'm just saying, talk about winners in this draft. It's him. He went from a late first rounder, really didn't show us that much in college, to top five. He was outside of the big three. I, not He's top four, not even top five, right? Outside of the big three, Wiseman, LaMelo, and Anthony Edwards. He, he goes next? Wow. I mean, Patrick Williams, good job, man. You got you got either a great agent or like Rob saying a great great uh, conditioning <laughs> trainer, or I, I don't know how you did it, but great job. He's the winner of this draft. He did it. Uh, I really I was I had Wiseman written down, but I figured somebody would say it. I mean that that's a no brainer answer just because of all the things that Rob described. Talented kid. I mean I think everyone was saying he was the number one pick basically since he was eligible. So going to the Warriors just made so much sense. I think the fact that the Warriors had the number two pick is why you probably didn't see as many trades because everybody just knew like what they were going to do. So just wanted to see what would happen after the number two pick. But um, I wanted to take the like the fit part of the question. Uh, I went all the way down to pick 21, Tyrese Maxey for the 76ers. I like it just because for two reasons. One, Sixers, they need the same thing every year, which is somebody that can shoot, deal with the space they had it in reddick a couple years ago they let him go and then they really suffered they're going to keep him beating simmons so any shooters that you can get on the wing that are just ready you know catch and shoot guys i think um that's a good fit he's walking into a position I, he he has the tools to be a shooter but i'm not sure if he's there yet but like the opportunity will be there and plus i mean i'm going out on the limb he's a kentucky kid last time we saw a kentucky kid come out pretty decent shooter turned out to be all right Tyler Hero I'm not saying he's on that level I was I was a little bit late to the hero party when he got drafted I'm gonna you know be ahead on this one just in case he pops off but I like it and then you hear internally they're throwing around names like Lou Williams within the organization so if he has more than the shooting ability to his game I think they got a steal at 21. Who drafted Tyler Hero in the fantasy basketball league last year? 
I don't know because we never finished that league. No, no, not I don't know. It was this guy right here, the Don. But go ahead. Next question. Did you win last year though? I was. I was the number one team when COVID hit. Okay, that sounds like a champion to me. Did you get a number one next to my name? Did you get prize money? No, because you're cheap. You didn't, you didn't oh, pass okay, it out. okay. Because I was taught it, it doesn't count unless you get cash on delivery. All right. <laughs> Listen, we have a guest on the show. Let's not let's not air our dirty laundry. So why I don't even know why he's bragging about that. But anyway, so let's flip the script. So which player or players lost the draft in your opinion, Rob? Um, I feel like one guy that really hurt himself. It was Vernon Carey Jr. Like Duke guy, leading scorer, leading rebounder. Most likely going to be a lottery pick. It's probably himself went early second round. I want to say 31st. So he, he would be my pick, you know. I mean, as far as like, I mean, he got drafted, but not definitely not where he wanted to be, especially yeah, coming from big, Duke. Yeah, that's a big deal to be from Duke, you know, have the accolades and then not even go in the first round, much less lottery. Why do you think he slid? Um, like they were saying on the drafts, he's kind of like a traditional big, and those are kind of mm. getting phased out. And he's only like 6'9". You know, I mean, he's getting there. Like, I've, like, he trains, he's from South Florida. So I've seen his training, and then he didn't really have the three point shot that you would like as a big man right now. Not to say you can't get it, but, and his, his moving and picking, switching and picking roles, you know, it's his defense, he's not really a shot blocker or a volume rebounder. So I think that's what hurt him. Do you feel like at 6'9, he's more Sean May or more uh, like a big baby type? Or Dewan Blair. Or Dewan Blair. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's uh, either of them because he's he's a left. He's not. He's lost. He's really in really good shape. It's a, a big. Uh, he's more like a stretch four. I don't, it's kind of hard to say right now. He's he's definitely not one of them. He's kind of a tweener. tweener like yeah. he's not really big enough to be power forward as far as bulk, and he don't really have an outside shot yet. So it's kind of a tweener, you know. You don't really know what position. Like, can he score on the block, or can he knock down consistently? So, True. I, I I want to follow up with a question, Rob, and get your thoughts on it. Now that you mentioned that, I know JT went the NBA route comparison. I I want to ask. I know you have him as the player that kind of lost out in the draft because he went second round. Was at one point projected like a lottery guy, especially coming into Duke. So someone like that that has this hype, leaves after, what, one year, goes in the second round. But from what you're saying is he can't change his height, right? He can change some of his game, but he can never change the 6'9 to a 7-foot. And realistically, at this point, he's played like this for 19 years. It's tough for him to now be a J.J. Redick-type shooter at 6'9". He's not going to be a Kevin Durant-type offensive player in the NBA, right? So does it really matter – had he stayed two more years to refine his game, does it really matter? Meaning, could he have ever been a lottery pick? Isn't he just better off coming up? He's still lost in the draft. You're right. But does it matter? Like, should he feel total regret? Or does it not matter because he really wasn't going to be able to improve his stock based on his dimensions? I think um, it could go both ways because he's, he trains with one of the best trainers, Stan Remy, down here in Florida since he was in junior high, high school, and he's really transformed his game. I feel like he may just be tired of school. You know, I don't feel like he may not be hurting for his dad played in the NFL, you know. So 
Mm-hmm. But I feel like if he would have stayed one more year, showed more of his outside game, I think it, he could have been more of a lottery pick. Because yeah. he only averaged like 17 a game, you know, on a Duke team that didn't really have those typical Duke players that averaged 20 a game. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I feel I, like he, he – some people just are better pros than they are college players as well, though. So – We'll see. Yeah, that's true. 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 I I think that was a great pick you made there, Rob, with uh Vernon Carey Jr. I'm I'm gonna go Tyrese Halliburton. He fell to number 12 to the Kings. And the reason why I think he lost in this draft, two reasons. He slid compared to early projections where he could have went, which was kind of that six, seven, eight spot. And then I think him going to the Kings with the Aaron Fox already and Buddy Heald. Like, I don't see how he gets a lot of playing time early on. And sometimes that could maybe kind of slow down his development. Because I think he can be a really good player with his length and his his ability. But I just think the fit in where he fell down out of the top 10, I just think he's probably a little disappointed. Yeah, I, I can see on that. I'm actually – so – just bear with me here. So I went with the fit again. And even though he didn't lose a draft because he went number one overall, I got to go with Edwards because going to the Wolves, I just don't know. Like, I see long-term where he fits in. I just don't know how he's going to make, like, number one overall impact on that team. It's just because there's a log jam for touches in Minnesota. Like, you look, okay, D'Lo and Cat, they're going to get their touches already. Like, it's going to run through them. But then you got Donato. You know a guy I like very, very much. Malik Beasley, still on the team, plays basically the same position. And they just re-signed him to, what, a four-year, $60 million deal? And you know what it means. They're not paying you $15 million a year to do nothing. So you throw in, what, Culver and Akogi, good players. You like Jared Culver. Um, he's, he was a high pick, too. Yeah. Now, he hasn't progressed the way they wanted him to in Minnesota, which is why I think why they made this move. But you put all that together, it's a bunch of young, talented players that all want the ball. It just seems like a really crowded team for a guy that's number one overall to go there and expect that he's going to have, like, that big impact. I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit, and then, Rob, let me know what you think. I kind of disagree, JT, in that, and it's just playing devil's advocate, that he's going maybe to a really good situation. Minnesota, there's no pressure there. And it's still going to be Cat's team and D'Angelo Russell's team, right? So, yeah, he's not going to get the touches. But think about it. Kobe Bryant didn't get the touches in L.A. Like, no one does. Dwight Howard, number one overall pick. Like, you're not seeing a lot of minutes anyway. But it's those guys that have that pressure that need to produce. Like Anthony Bennett when he went to the Cavs. They had no one. Had no business going there. (laughs) One, yeah, he had no business going there. But two, because he did, nothing around him. Like, he – he could not develop. I think this is great. No pressure. He can learn from other guys and develop at his own pace for when his contract's up or some of those other guys leave, like Culver. He's he's ready to step in. So, Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying, but I feel like the flip side to that is people see that you're the number one overall pick and you went over some other guys who they thought should be the number one pick. Like, it was a log jam between those those top three – so they're going to say, you know what, he's they're all they're going to see is the average fans will see is not putting up numbers. They're not going to see what we're what you're describing, which is 100% true. But I, I don't know. I just hope that it could go either way. Either 
he has the pressure. He doesn't put up the numbers. They say he's not doing good. Or they say, like, oh, he's in a good situation. Give it time. Like, when he's ready, he'll produce. Rob, what do you, what do you think about Anthony Edwards to Minnesota? Um, I feel like, I mean, it's a good pick because, like you said earlier, the game's trending towards guard-oriented. And here's this I, – I I'm not sure who the power forward is, but I'm sure, like, um, he may – it depends how training can goes, if he starts or whatever. I figure Culver will probably come off the bench eventually, and they'll run a three guards, Beasley, Edwards, and D'Angelo. And then they'll have Cat, then them, whoever. At I think it's Wancho that's down there, but it's basically like a, like a nobody at the four. But, um, you know, I mean, he's a volume shooter. He's not really a great three-point shooter. So he may sit early, you know, may come off the bench. And it just, it just depends how well he adapts. But I think it could work out because, like I said, the, the NBA is trending towards more guard-oriented, not necessarily a big. So you can run – three guards out there i want to he's I a wanna, big guard he's 220 yeah yeah he's a big dude i want to ask you a question about edwards since i brought him up um i'm gonna like play devil's advocate because i feel like the same argument that you were making for uh vernon carey jr that's kind of how i felt like in part about edwards it's like okay he was at georgia and i feel like if he's the number one overall pick like i know he put up what like 19 a game but i just felt like i don't know i just I just didn't feel like, okay, this this kid is at, like, SEC school. He's supposed to be special. Like, like are we really seeing it? Like, do you do you feel like he was worth the number one overall pick? Like, nothing to do with where the game is going, just strictly based on the player. Like, all right, I'm cool with my team taking this guy number one, number one overall when you got, like, Melo and then Wiseman, like, going right behind him. Well, those were by far the three best players in the draft. You're not going to take LaMelo number one because him and D'Angelo Russell are basically, like, the same type of player. They both need the ball in their hands. And Wiseman is almost the same player as Carl Anthony Towns, so he almost had to take Edwards. And Edwards, to be honest, he reclassified and went to Georgia a year early, so he's still fairly young in the game. But when you're the main guy on a, on a bad team, you're going to get everybody double teams. You know, his numbers may. In the NBA, he's not going to get double teamed, and it's going to show out more – what he can do opposed to being in colleges where it's condensed, you know, you got to run with the coaches, a, a certain set mm-hmm. NBA. You can kind of just do your thing within an extent. That's what I'm saying. So General, he may be a better, I feel like he's going to be a better pro than he was a college player. I guess you just answered my next question. My next question is going to be like general expectations for him year one. I mean, you got to take that. He's going to be better than he was in college. If if you tell me that that's what you're expecting from him, then I'm 100% with him going number one overall, like regardless of who the team was. Because that's the one thing I couldn't wrap myself around getting to love him is like, I want to see it in college because we get caught up in guys like Trey Young. He was at Oklahoma. He was killing it. But I mean, yeah, teams did double him. But like, you can still see it like, all right, he's going to be like an offensive juggernaut when he gets to the league. And I was a little hesitant because I know it's not, the, it's not Edwards' game. It's not the same as Young's. But I still want to see that, like, you know, can he score at ease, you know, like where teams can't stop him, even if he is getting double teamed. But I'll go with the expert opinion on that. So, no, go ahead. Well, once he gets a, once he gets a consistent jump shot, he's – he goes to the whole, like, Dwayne Wade. So mm-hmm. – and he's a bigger version. And then just imagine if he gets a jumper, you know. I mean, in NBA, he's going to have nothing but time to work on it. So All right. So, we'll see. We'll see. 
So maybe more importantly, even though it does not always equate to wins or titles, let's go to the team. So you, uh, we're gonna, only going to do one. So let's pick a team that won the draft as a whole. Rob, who you got? That won the draft? Um, I think a lot of teams did well. <laughs> I just feel, even though the Warriors, I feel like they got Wiseman and Nico Mannion. Those two guys, Nico Mannion's a scorer. And he'll come off the bench, you know, confide those. I feel like the Warriors had a great draft. Yeah, that, that's a good one, Rob. Uh, and I know you're high on Wiseman. I, I think all three of us here like him. I'm going to go Detroit Pistons. I do my Detroit basketball voice, but I don't, I don't want to insult the, the PA announcer. Um, but I got the Pistons, right? Troy Weaver, new GM, comes in, three first-round picks. They got number seven, Killian Hayes. Then they traded Trevor Ariza for the number 16 pick, took Isaiah Stewart, the center out of Washington. Another Isaiah did pretty well for the Pistons back in the 80s. And then they traded Luke Kennard, JT's guy, for number 19, for the number 19 pick, and they took Sadiq Bey. And then later, they got from Utah the number 38 pick. So four picks in the top 38. I mean, they're literally picking every 10 picks, essentially, but three in the top 19 just by numbers they're bound to hit on one of those guys maybe two if they hit on two of those guys they've got two-fifths of a, a pretty good starting lineup down the road so I'm gonna go Detroit they kind of came in pulled a coup and got got the steal basically Won yeah the I draft. like Detroit I feel like a lot of teams did well because, like Rob said, this this draft was deeper than most like most thought. Uh, the team, maybe unpopular opinion, and I'm gonna kind of go against what Rob said. I thought it was the Hornets just because anytime you can get a guy that they think is consensus number one, basically up until the time the pick was in and Lamelo Ball at number three, you get him. You, you know that's a, that's a hell of a value. And then I thought getting Vernon Carey in the second round, like you said it yourself, like. If he would have come back, he might have been a lottery. People, some people thought he was a lottery. So to get the risk reward in round two, I think is a win. And plus, I think he with the like the Charlotte big men they've had in the past, if he can, you know, like round out some of that offensive game that he might have, I think that helps what they've been looking for. Cause they've had guys like Zeller and Biombo. Like those are really like not guys you can like want to depend on. But if Carey can, you know, develop into the player some thought he might be going in the lottery and then also like good enough to go to Duke. you know you look at those two back to back those two picks alone i think win it and then a small second i know it says pick only one but i gotta put nobody's talking about him we, we expected this even i mean what do you want me to point? say like nobody's talking go about ahead. diddy go ahead. nobody's talking about diddy uh diddy avadia um from israel i thought he was gonna be in the top five so for the for the wizards to get him where they got him i think that's good i mean i think he's a great all-around player i like him so uh, it, just for him, I, I like the, the Wizards got him. So just by him falling, I think they, they were a winner too. JT, you better hope he turns into a really good – I know because I've been Maybe not even an all-star. He just needs to play good and stay on a roster for eight years because if he does not, you have been pumping this guy up before the draft. I you've like only, him. You've, you've probably only seen highlights of him. You've probably never even watched the game of his. And you're just pumping him up. So if he fails, you will hear it for years, just like your Utah Utes pick. If I make any – well, first of all, if I make any raw pick, I'll, I'll hear it for years, but whatever. Like, uh, the experts said he was top five, so we'll, we'll, they can't be that wrong. 
But flip the script, which team lost the draft, in your opinion, Rob? Which team? Somebody got me, my answer. I, I, I feel like it starts with the Bulls. I don't, I don't know about Patrick Williams going fourth. That was like that. that was cringeworthy for me. I mean, he may turn out to be all right, a, a great player, but, but at four, that's kind of tough. I, I totally agree, Rob. That's who I got, and you, you, you just said it. At number four, you need an immediate impact player. You need a guy that's going to produce now. Even if he doesn't end up being good, you need to take that guy that you think is going to do it now. And you already took like a Wendell Carter Jr. Like you need guys that are going to produce now. I, I'm with but you. But they also tried to get rid of Wendell Carter Jr. too. So I don't know. Maybe that's why. But that goes to show you. And then they just go get another player that's another not Wendell Carter be, Jr. Jr. He's not going to be an immediate <laughs> offensive guy. And that's what this league is about now. Sorry. So I, I agree, Rob. You both said that, and that's very interesting because I thought Denny was going to go on that pick at number four. Who do you think they should have taken instead of Williams at that spot? I I would have been fine with that pick. With Denny? Of, of Denny, yep. How about you, Rob? Uh, me, I would have took OB Toppin. All right. Ooh, All right. okay. Man. Interesting. I keep hearing Amari Stoudemire. I don't know, is that is that on point with, oh, with OB? I mean, less athletic, right, Rob? Uh, uh, he's, he's, he can he, get up there. <laughs> I, uh, maybe he's not as explosive, but he's explosive player. But Mari Stoudemire is just a different animal, like a yeah. once in a generation. But I've seen him. I mean, you can take it for what it's worth. When he played in those black ops runs by Chris Brinkley up in New York with LeBron and all those NBA guys up there, he was doing his thing, and that was as a redshirt freshman that before anybody knew about him. And then he had the he had a great redshirt freshman year, and then a I think it was this past year he's national player of the year. Damn, see that's that's why we bring Rob on the show. He gets you excited about every damn player, like no matter what he go. He should have went number one. He just sold, he sold me top and should have went number two. Wiseman should have yeah, went seriously. Number one. I I was actually down on him coming into the draft. I thought uh, on the sides he could hop like. Is it Jared Sullinger with dunking ability? I don't know, but you know, he, there he goes. He says, "Hey, look, he was doing his thing." Yep. Well, I mean, look what he did with Dayton. I mean, they went. They yeah. had arguably they're going to be a number one seed. They they lost two games, and then I mean, he's from New York. He trains with the best trainer, and that trains all the top NBA guys that you can think of. Well, yeah. I I think for Obi Toppin going to to the Knicks can't beat it. Can't beat it. I mean, yeah. he's yeah, going to be the face. He's going to be the face of the franchise now. So. If he has any sort of success, they're going to love him. Are him and Randall going to be competing for the same position or they'll find a way to get them to both on the court? Well, they're kind of interchangeable at the three and the four. You know, they can both – you know, Randall will probably be more of a three because he has a better handle. I mean, if they want to go those type of lineups. And like you said, the NBA is turned into small ball. You know, you don't need yeah. a big seven-footer, six-eleven guy that just sits in the paint. You can roll out a team that's – Tall's guy six nine in today's NBA and do fine. fine. All right. Well, speaking well, of tall, go ahead. What were you gonna say? No, I was just gonna throw my pick in there real quick. He says he said tall guys. Speaking of tall guys, my loser was the Suns taking a center in the top ten. Jalen Smith. I don't get this. You already have a young star in eight in that center. Uh, talk about needing more more positions and not addressing them with the top ten pick. You just traded half your team for CP3. Like, there's more pressing needs on the board 
So you already have a guy in Aiton, like he's definitely developing at a good pace and you took him number one overall not too long ago. So I don't understand why they made that move. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, let's shift our focus from the draft now to the free, the free agency. I know JT loves free agency. Um, and, I love this, free agency. You do, you do, you do. But it began last week. However, um, this year's list of free agents not as loaded in terms of star power as last year or even some of the prior years. But there have been some key uh, players that either staying with teams, signing extensions, or switching teams. So, Rob, what has been, in your opinion, the best free agent signing by a team thus far to this point? Um, I could go with the, you know, everybody, just about everybody's picking with the Lakers, but I'm going to go with the Hawks. That's if the Kings don't match Bogdanovich's contract. I like how they, who they brought in. They brought shooters and some veteran players along with a good young core who they got with Rondo, Chris Dunn, and uh, Gallinari. And like I said, if the Kings don't match Bogdanovich's um, offer sheet, I think that'll be a, that's a great pickup as well. So you think the, if they do happen to get Bogdanovich in Atlanta, you think that's going to be the best signing overall, like as far as, you know, value, player? From top to bottom, shooting, veteran leadership, you know, I feel like that's the best. I mean, I could go in with the the pretty pick, the Lakers, but I would just – I feel like Atlanta is trying to become an up-and-coming team. JT, JT, what was your best free agent signing? I feel like you could guess who I'm going to pick. If you – I'll be very impressed, but go ahead. You should know who this is. I talk about him all the time. Are you talking about a lot of guys a lot he, of times. I talk about him all the time. He finally got unleashed last year. Bertans, Bertans. No, 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 not, not him. Come on. I'm, I'm really disappointed in you. <laughs> Listen, I, you talk about a lot of guys. Bro, can you, can you take one more guess and then I'll let you know? Uh, KCP. No, man. <laughs> that was a joke. That was a joke. <laughs> hey, man, KCP did more than I thought he would. This he year. got paid. He got paid, though. <laughs> he but that was it. I ain't going to lie. That he was, was a, a meme for, like, two-thirds of the season, and then he turned into a stud. It's Christian Wood, man. Come on. I, I know. I, I saw that on the list. I should have remembered. Come on, man. He got, what, three years, $41 million, I think? Three years, $41 million going to Houston. I mean, shoot, his stock is through the roof already. Any Him getting out of Detroit – which I don't understand. We talked about this all the time. I don't understand why Detroit did everything they could to keep him on the bench and not play him. And then, you know, he goes to the Rockets. If Harden and Westbrook are out of there, I mean, he's, he could be the guy. And you just look at, you know, his averages last year after the All-Star break when they started giving him, like, consistently, like, 25, 30 minutes a game. He was averaging, what, 24, 9, two assists a game, a steal a game, a block a game, and a three, a one-and-a-half threes per game. That's a that's a stud right there. And he's, you know, he's young and still developing. So I've always been a fan of Wood when he was in Detroit. Um, glad to see him go somewhere. But I think he's going to be a guy that people might not know about now. We do, obviously. But I think NBA fans, like the casual fan, will know who he is after this year. I, that's a, that is a good one. I saw him on the list. I should have guessed that. And I know that's your dude. I'm, I'm going to go with a guy that's staying with the team. And that's Donovan Mitchell getting the max from from Utah. I, I think they had to do it. Unless you guys disagree, I think they had to do it. It's good for him and good for Utah because 
I don't know how they get big time free agents in there without a, a big time piece already there. And this is maybe how they do it with getting guys that'll want to play with Donovan Mitchell. So that's I'm exactly gonna... what Rob said with that dude's job. He's like, they had to do it. There was no way around it for all the reasons that you named. So I'm going to go Donovan Mitchell, but like JT says, let's, let's flip the script. Let's go with what has been the worst free agent signing by a team so far, Rob. I feel like we all go have the same answer. <laughs> uh, I don't know. You said you like Detroit. I feel like Detroit had the worst because they signed Mason Plumley. Mason Plumley is getting more money than guaranteed money than Baca. And I forgot there was another one. one of them, I forgot who it was, but I, they got, they just I got said, a log jam at the forwards with Grant. They gave Grant a ton of money. Yeah, he got three years, they 60 still got Blake. <laughs> three years, 60 million. I mean, they got Jaleel Okafor for cheap, but I mean, that's just, they got a Okafor. lot of guys that don't do a whole lot. But other than Grant, Rob, you know, I Grant said. Can, I said Detroit won the draft. I didn't say free agency. So let, let me <laughs> let, let me make that clear. I don't want to. I don't want to be the. I don't. Be, oh, and, and be they drafted Isaiah here. Stewart. So you got Isaiah Stewart, <laughs> Griffin, Jaleel Okafor, and Plumley. Rob, like I can go through all those guys right they're, now. <laughs> they're, they're trying to pull the Bill Belichick and start to think six years ahead, where maybe the NBA starts to go back to to the bigs being the. Play four power forwards. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, J JT, who you got? If you got Hayward, I apologize. You got it written down? I do not. All right. Then it's got to be Gordon Hayward. I don't, I just do not understand. I said Charlotte won the draft, but $30 million over the next four years. Like, why? And they gave, they're giving him that much. When he let's be let's be honest, like he hasn't been healthy the past three years. He hasn't looked right since that leg injury. And if just look at the moves they've made, they got him and then they got Rogier, right? They Rogier, I don't think worked out as well as people thought he would that uh, last year. So basically, what they should have done is you should have just paid Kimball Walker and kept him. I don't understand. Like it looks worse and worse, but I mean, I gotta say Gordon is the worst one. Okay, yeah, he did get a lot. I'm going to go, and it's not a knock on the player or the contract, but there's a reason behind this answer. I'm going to go Joe Harris. He got four years, $75 million. And the reason why I don't like it is because of the tax implications on it now. They're going to be well over the luxury tax, and so they're going to pay a heavy premium because of this contract um, on the on the luxury tax. So it's not just the four years, $75 million. I think they're going to have to dish out – probably like another 30 or 40 million in luxury tax money. So that is, if you're going to do that, get a third superstar. If you're going to pay that sort of luxury tax. So I, I'm going to go Joe Harris's signing. Uh, Rob, you kind of hinted at one team already, which, which you stole my team, but let's see what you say for this. Which team has impressed you the most with its moves this off season? The moves. I feel like the Lakers got better, and I feel like I said the Hawks got better. I feel like those two. The Lakers, you know, reloaded with a little bit younger, more – well, besides Gasol, Gasol can still space the floor. He can shoot, and he's not going to do anything stupid. But I kind of got two, Atlanta and the Lakers. All right. JT. Yeah, I'm not going to dwell too much on it. It's the Lakers, and I feel like <laughs> – how they let LeBron do this, man? How they let him get Trez and Schroeder? Like, if 
they the NBA is known for vetoing shit. They did veto CP3. How did how did they veto this? Like like this made no system. They just won the championship. You're giving them basically you're giving them a team that allows LeBron to play less minutes and get rest where it needed. Because you know Trez and Schroeder they gonna eat. I I like what he said. Uh, what Rob said about Gasol, especially if they keep him fresh for the playoffs. Like I think he'll be a factor. And then uh, was Matthews was the only other guy they brought in uh, as a shooter. So I mean. They got better in every, in every way, and I don't understand how the NBA let that happen. Hey, it's LeBron's league. Everyone else is just playing in it. I, I mean, Rob, I, I I had Atlanta Hawks. I, I think you're so right there. Atlanta Hawks bringing in Danilo, Gallinari. If they can pull the Bogdanovich deal and get that done, Rajon Rondo, Chris Dunn. They brought in Solomon Hill, obviously not going to break any uh, any news – breaking news there but you already had John Collins Trey Young I think Clint Capella could have a role on that team they got to watch teams in the east have to watch out for the Hawks I think this year but definitely moving forward now yeah it's all about health with them because if Young Collins Reddish uh, Capella if all those guys can stay healthy even Gallo I mean that's going to be a big difference and they got DeAndre Hunter from Virginia. He's on that squad too. So yeah, yeah. Hunter was nice. A nice squad. You you forget about guys like Reddish and Hunter because they're not like right now flashing. They were playing in Atlanta, but quality. They got the, good they got young the other guy, uh, the redhead kid, the shooter. Uh, we talk about him all the time. Herder. Herder. Yeah, Herder. Herder. Come on, get it right. You just can't be naming guys like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they got a squad. All right. So uh, believe it or not, the NBA season starts in less than a month, which is crazy, but exciting for us. Uh, Rob, Donato, I don't want to hear anything from you about this. I just want to hear strictly from the man himself. Rob, what are your thoughts or expectations on the upcoming season? I'm excited because, one, it gets to start soon. I'm starting back up. Um, I, I want to see, barring injury, a Brooklyn Lakers finals. I mean, I'm Ooh. sad there's no all-star game, but I know why. But if everything goes to plan, I would love to see a Durant-LeBron matchup where they can go one-on-one. LeBron don't want that again. <laughs> well, KD's not as loaded this time, and LeBron's got a little bit more peace. He might be if he get Harden. Uh, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. But anything else with that, Rob? Because we always got to finish these segments with you, especially prior to a season with predictions. So anything else on your expectations and what you're thinking going into this year? I want to – I want I want to see what the Clippers do, and also want to see what the Rockets do. I want to see if they keep the players because I mean they can't keep the players because they're under contract for like three years. But my expectations is just it's going to be a wild season because I feel like there's going to be players being called up because and being set down because of COVID, and it's just going to be it's going to be a very interesting season like any other before because we've never been dealt with stuff like this. True. You know what I want to ask? He brought up a great point. Uh, stupid question, I'm sorry. But so, like, the player is going up and down from uh, – going up and being active from COVID possibly. Does that mean that those high school kids that went to the G League and bypassed college, like, are they eligible to be called up or they still have to, like, wait that year? They still have to wait that year. And there may not even be a G League season. They, I mean, they haven't decided yet. But they still have to wait that year. Because they're going right. to get drafted. 
like if you get called up, you're not going to get paid as much as if those guys would be if they were to get drafted, you know, top 10. Because mm-hmm. when you get called up, you get a prorated salary and just, or it depends on a 10 day contract or a prorated salary after those contracts or two way contracts. Got it. Got it. All right. So, fellas. Want to do some predictions here where we really show how smart or uneducated in sports we are? Yeah, let's see if we can stump the Swami. <laughs> stump the Rob. Yeah, All right, so, so <laughs> uh, Rob, you're going to go first each time on these. Who wins league MVP? No injuries? Yeah, no no injuries, no, injuries, no, injuries. no COVID things. All, all things Perfect being. Perfect world. Um, yep, yep, as we wish no, it all I, was. I got KD winning it. Ooh, I like that. I like that, Rob. JT, who you got? That's a tough got, one to follow. I got Steph Curry. No clay. He's going to be a useless monster. Whoa. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go Luka Doncic. You you would. <laughs> um, Man, that's mad disrespect. No one picked LeBron. Unbelievable. Because they don't, they don't want to give it to Unbelievable. him. Unbelievable. That's a one. Unbelievable. Uh. Rob, who wins Rookie of the Year? I got LaMelo Ball just because he's on the Hornets. He's going to put up some, put up some numbers. He's going to be fancy. He's going to show out, you know. So I got LaMelo Ball winning. All right, JT. I'm so disappointed in Rob. He spent all this time selling me on Wiseman. Best trainers in the game, elite athleticism. Without Clay, he's going to have a role. I think Wiseman is the Rookie of the Year. Rob Soul be on it. The boy, the boy is for real. And we got eyes on the street telling us. He's not going to get a lot of, he's not going to get the touches LaMelo is going to. Yeah, I think LaMelo's going to get more touches. I don't know. I just, I just think, I think Wiseman's going to do a lot this year, man. They're going to need him. All right. I'm going to go with Devin. You you know what? You know what? I'm going to go with JT's pick. I'm going to change mine. I'm going to go with, with Denny Avedia. (laughs) (laughs) That's who I'm going with. That's who I'm going with. So, so, so let me get this straight. In so you want to pick the guy that you swear I'm wrong about. So you're like hedging your bets. If he sucks, you're going to be like, see, I told you he was overrated. But if he wins, you're going to be like, I picked him. He gave me no credit. I got Can't you. Lose. Can't lose. Still undefeated. Mm-hmm. Still undefeated. All right. So my backup was Devin uh, Vazel, uh of uh, the Spurs from Florida State. So I'll hedge my bet with that too, just in case he wins. All right. So who plays – Rob, who plays in the finals and who wins? Finals, Lakers, Nets, Lakers, and seven. Ooh, some good TV ratings. The NBA hopes Rob is right. JT, who you got? This is gonna look, I'm going to look so stupid probably about game 40. But <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with the Lakers in the heat again. And I think, I think the Lakers are going to win just because of how much better they got last year, but I think it's going to be a lot closer because I'm assuming that everyone's healthy, but tell you, man, the heat are basically going to be the same team and they're going to get better together. Um, I think people are just writing them off with all these, you know, free agent acquisitions. So they're still that same team that made it to the finals. So I, I'm picking a rematch. This might be a really, really bad pick, but I'm going to go <laughs> Cleveland Browns. You, that's who you picking to go. <laughs> I'm going to go Dallas-Milwaukee. I think the Bucks get over the hump. I think, I think Giannis can figure it out. They're, they're trying to get him some help. 
All right. They brought in uh, who they bring in holiday. So, and I think Dallas, they're, they're getting better. Doncic is going to improve. The Lakers are tough out of the West, but the Nuggets have, I think, regressed a little bit this offseason. The Clippers, I think. Definitely without, regressed. Yeah, without Doc Rivers, they, they lost uh, Montrez Harrell. So I think Dallas is number two in that West, and maybe they figure out a way to beat the Lakers. I, I, know I wanted to love, be a little different. I know you love Luka, and I know, Rob, see, he's taking advantage of we said no injuries, but damn, you turned the injury sliders all the way down for Dallas because <laughs> you assume poor Zegas is going to last. I don't know about that. And then, you know, Luka's got a little bit injury history himself. But, shoot, if, if Dallas and Milwaukee make it to the finals, I feel like something has gone terribly wrong in the league. Hey. Well, well the Porzingis, he's, he's uh, out of the question. He's already injured. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he's going to miss the first part of the year anyways. That's okay. They played well <laughs> without him. Well, there goes your Luka listen, MVP pick because he's going to eat. <laughs> exactly. But listen, Rob, what's going to happen is, He's going to come back with 20 games, figure it out, and then Porzingis will be healthy for the playoffs. That's all they need him for. They don't need to get the one or the two seed because there still may not be any fans in the stands, so it doesn't matter where they play. They still may be back in the bubble. So who cares if you have the one or two seed? They just need to get in. And if Porzingis misses 80 games, he comes back for the last two and is ready for the playoffs, that's all Porzingis needs because that means he's going to be healthy. So I'll take that. He misses the first 60 to play the last 30 40 going into the finals i'll take it you buying that i wasn't believe i wasn't believing it yeah go to vegas right now and put money on that if that's how that's how strong because you'll be a millionaire i I was right with the heat was i not and that was not a popular playoff teams were already there we're talking about before the season so you're saying dallas is not going to make the playoffs Wait, 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 wait. Before we let Rob go, JT, you're saying Dallas is not going to make the playoffs. No, that's not what I said, but I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. What's that got to do with what I just said about the Heat? You said, oh, the Heat were already in the playoffs. That has nothing to do with it. They were like a four or five seed, and I I said they're going to come out of the East. Mm -hmm, Okay. So can we ask a surprise? Oh, I thought Jimmy said you picked the Heat. No, no, he picked them once the playoffs had started. You know what, Rob? We we weren't fortunate enough to have to have you as a guest prior to the NBA season, so I don't even think we made predictions last year. So this is the first time on the history of JT and the Dawn. Rob, if you would be so kind, can we'd love to have you back during the season, but especially at the end to go over some of these predictions. Is that cool? That's great. I'm ready. Can we throw one more surprise prediction in there for him since we're gonna have him back? Sure. Off the cuff surprise team that people aren't thinking either going to make the playoffs or make a deep push surprise team Celtics I feel like they could get to the finals will they I don't know but could they yes Don you You want me to go putting me on the spot you know what I'm going to go with I'm going to pick the Suns out of the West and the Magic out of the East all right I thought you were going to say Orlando Magic. I'm just going to – I did. I said Magic out of the East. I know, but I I was going – I wanted to ask this question because I wanted to say the Magic. So, we both are record saying the Magic going to be a surprise team. So, that way, you stole mine. I stole yours. We both look like geniuses if they get it together. together. We're even. We're even just the way it should be. Well, Rob, great job as always. Thank you very much for your time. We, We appreciate it. We can't wait to have you back during the season as well, and especially at the end to go over all of these these picks and review it. So 
Thank you again, Rob, and see you soon, man. I appreciate you guys having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, JT, from one great guest to another, let's get right into it. Let's give a big JT and the Don welcome to Coach Connor Cassidy. JT, should I go over his accolades again, or do you think the fans know? This is his third time. This is the first three-peater on our show. I mean, I feel like every time he does come on the show, we find out something new. Did you find out anything new about his past that we didn't know that we could, like, brag about on the show? Because he went from, eh, he was okay, to the dude was damn near one of the greatest of all time from the region. I, so. I, I will say, as we welcome in Coach Connor Cassidy, I will say I did throw him a swing route back last month uh, after a um, uh, on the field. And, man, it's unbelievable how it feels to throw to such a great running back. Unbelievable. He made it look so smooth, the swing route. So how smooth. far did the ball travel? Because I've seen you throw uh, it. You know my arm. We, we yes, did. I, 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 I told him no more than seven yards. The no nine more. route becomes a six. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, Coach Connor Cassidy, welcome. Thank you, as always. How have you been? Oh, thank you both. It's great to be back. I'm um, excited to, you know, have my three-peat uh, on JT and the Don. Uh, and don't believe what Donato was saying there about that little swing route. No one has ever used the adjective smooth to talk about me, and the, uh, the pass on the swing route was definitely better than the, than the route and the catch. So. He's always being humble, ladies and gentlemen <laughs> out there. Well, Coach Cassidy, we bring you on because it's that time of the year, even during a COVID college football season. The college football playoff committee came out with its rankings Tuesday night. So what do you say? Are you ready to discuss it? Can't wait. Uh, Bart Scott. Bart Scott. So, but before we get to that, let's do a little in-season review, JT and and Coach Cassidy. Um, Again, like I said, it's been a different type of season with actually some teams only playing one game, two games for some of the Pac-12 teams. But it has not disappointed with great games, endings, and individual performances. So, Coach Cassidy, what stands out to you so far this college football season? Well, I'm curious to uh, hear what you guys have to say on this topic because, um, well, it's so open-ended. And uh, honestly, like, uh, there's so much that – I was thinking about, but what really stands out to me as a lover of college football, the whole uh, sport is like the change in the atmosphere because of COVID. And I hope that's not too much of a cop-out answer, but um, like when I think about college football, I think of all of the atmosphere and the fanfare that goes along with it. And I think of like game days at all these iconic sites across the country, no matter where you are, uh, tailgating, uh, you know, the cheerleaders, the pep bands, the marching bands, fans packing like 100,000 strong in stadiums across the country. Um, and, and that's just not there. Like the pregame player walk to the stadium, all these traditions are upended. Um, and now we're watching games in empty stadiums and with cardboard cutouts and gone is the home field advantage. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's wild. Um, so, uh, you know, aside from all these like crazy and exciting finishes that we've been witness to um, in different games, I think that the whole atmosphere and 
the aura of college football, unfortunately, has been diminished a little bit. That being said, it's still wonderful to have it on and watch it um, and, and see all these guys competing at a high level. Um, but like on the field and football wise, I think what's really interesting has been the Heisman race. Uh, looking at the start of the year, I think everyone would have said Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, like these two guys are going to be runaways with this Heisman Trophy race. And now the conversation has totally changed. Now people are talking about Kyle Trask, Mac Jones as being one and two in the Heisman race. Zach Wilson's in there as a dark horse. And yeah, Fields and Lawrence are still in the conversation, but for various reasons, those guys have sort of taken a back seat. And so now Kyle Trask is leading the FBS in total TD throws with 31. Uh, Mac Jones is number one in the FBS in his QBR. Um, and Zach Wilson's doing pretty well in categories um, of uh, TDs and total yards passing. So I think that's been really interesting. And where we see, like, on paper, those top teams that we expected to perform well are still there. The discussion for the Heisman Trophy is totally turned around and I think that's been a fun wrinkle that, that's a great take on on the Heisman uh that I didn't really think about it that way so that that's a great take on it um and like how you bring some of the stats that's that's why we bring you in as our college football expert uh Jay I know you guys are stats guys so I had to I had to do some work <laughs> I that's am I am he's a stats guy JT just likes to wing it he'll figure it out as as we go but JT anything to add to that uh not really. Uh, he made a great point about the Heisman. Um, I also didn't think about it that way either. But um, from the COVID standpoint, I definitely agree with him. Um, just the fact that, you know, from no fans in general, like he alluded to, because um, that's, that's such a big part of college football is the fans and the atmosphere. Except for Notre Dame, they got theirs. But, um, yeah, just like seeing these games played basically with no fans, but also the fact that, you know, we were really worried about COVID coming into the season, not just for college football, but for all sports. And, you know, how would it, how would they make it through it? Would it at some point shut it down? And I'm just surprised, like, college football hasn't shut down because of COVID. Because I think out of all the sports, they had the most issues before the season already, like, before they were, like, the game started. Like, like the Virginia Tech players often out, you were hearing, like, there were, like, numbers everywhere across the country on college campuses. So, um, I think the fact that it's still going is interesting, but um, he brought up something really interesting about, you know, like some of the Heisman trophies winners and uh, more notably Trask at UF, which is just crazy. And he's put up all those touchdowns and numbers and Mac Jones is right there too. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but scoring is through the roof in the SEC this year. And that's something that's, I don't think people understand how rare that is. And that's like one of my, like my, biggest thing that stands out is just like how much scoring there is in, in the SEC because it's usually known for defense but, but you know you flip to this year you got guys like Mike Leach Lane Kiffin coming in and then all of a sudden the SEC looks like the Big 12 now and there's just these high scores where usually it's like defensive battles and a few teams might be dominant on offense but you look at last year I think they had what seven teams that were like top 30 in scoring defense so SEC pretty solid across the board this year, I think it's down to two. Every team has given up at least 30 points in a game this year, which is insane. Like, that usually doesn't happen in the SEC. And I think um, through mid-October, there were just two teams in the whole conference that, hadn't, that had not given up 30 points or more, and then now that's out the window. 
So I don't know if this is like something that's going to continue to to trend that way in the future, but definitely I was shocked to see some of these SEC scores. When you see like Florida putting up all these numbers and then everybody else is like putting up all these numbers, who is a good defense in the SEC? And that's a question I never thought I would ask myself. That's a, that's a, that's a great point. Um, there's so many things I want to try to, to, to kind of counter with that, but it, I, I, I just think you're right. Cause I mean, you could say, well, SEC is getting the top quality offensive players. So eventually the offense is going to take hold as long as Leach and Kiffin are there, they're going to, they're going to prioritize offense over defense. So that's part of why that's going to happen. LSU doesn't have the players this year on defense. So maybe it's a one-off, but you, you might be right. There might be a trend there. Uh, great job, JT, bringing that up R real quick. First thing along the lines of of the of COVID, I, I think this season's been marred by the indecision by conferences and teams. I mean, you're getting last minute Florida State Clemson game canceled like an hour and a half before kickoff. Like th that should never happen. You you should never get to the point hour and a half before kickoff or three hours before kickoff and you have to cancel the game, right? It should have been figured out well before that. And I think it's because of the lack of consistency and protocols through the conferences. And again, I go back to this JT few episodes ago at the beginning of the season, it's on the NCAA. Why is there not a streamlined, consistent protocol manual across the board would have solved everything. But of course the NCAA drops the ball again on that. Uh, going That's back what to do. what, they dropped yeah. the ball. <laughs> that should be that should be like their their slogan. Their slogan. Their whole when brand. you see the like, yes, when NCAA, you see we drop the ball and that's it. <laughs> just, just cut camera. Uh, Coach Cassidy, you 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 talked about the pageantry that comes with college football. No major upsets. There have been no major upsets. You can say, oh, Notre Dame, you know, upset Clemson. Okay, if you want to call it an upset, but it's not a major upset. What I'm talking about is an App State be beating Michigan, right? A non-ranked beating in Alabama, even though that rarely happens too. But you know my, you see what I'm saying? And I think part of it is no out-of-conference games, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't allow the Coastal Carolinas, the SMUs, pick, pick any non, you know, pick any group of five non-power five teams. Yeah. <laughs> Those teams haven't had that opportunity. So no major upsets, which is really weird because that's what people love in college football, just like in the NCAA tournament. And then the third thing is Cincinnati just stands out to me. Cincinnati. I mean, What did I tell you? What did I tell you about, I feel like a month and a half ago, I said it with a... Uh, a month and a half ago. Oh, it might have been Come more. When we, had, when we had Ken on, I told you yeah. Cincinnati, best well, I, best. Non-Power 5 team in the country. Well, I was going to say, I'm rooting for them personally because of, of our dude, Kendall Calhoun, but Cincinnati has also stuck out uh, in, in my mind. All right. So every year there's always a few surprises and things that stand out to us, and there's also a few disappointments. Uh, even though it's COVID season, there's this year's no different. So, Coach, I'm coming to you. Which team has been the most surprising to you despite this, you know, unusual season? All right. Great question. Um, and I think my head wants to pick Northwestern, but I thought one of you guys, especially maybe Coach Bucci, who picked them. To do you guys get together and do this every year? No, I swear, no, I swear every year you guys are on the same, same Midwest team train. No, but <laughs> I'm going to pass on Northwestern and leave that for Bucci, th thinking that's what he wants. Fixes in. 
That is one of them. I wrote down a couple <laughs> just in case that that was top on my list. Good call. Yeah, coach. And that's why, you know, I'm going first here. So, but I'm going with Arkansas. All right. And I know your listeners are like, wait, what? Arkansas? I had the number four on my list. Great okay. call. All right. So, and, and what I want to focus on is that the last time there, so they're three and five, but they have three conference wins over Ole Miss, Mississippi state and Tennessee. And their losses are no cupcakes, Georgia, Auburn, Texas A&M, Florida, and LSU. They lose to LSU on a, by a field goal. Remember the Auburn game is when Bo Nix goes for like the spike at the end of the game and fumbles it. And there's a controversy and maybe by rule, they shouldn't have had the opportunity to kick. And so maybe that should have been another W in Arkansas's favor. Uh, but this is a team that has not won an SEC game since October of 2017 before this season. Two straight years without a conference win. And so then you talk about arguably year in, year out, one of the most competitive conferences in college football, the SEC West. And they are no longer at the bottom where they were predicted to finish. And they are, um, you know, trending in the right direction and and have some has have some nice wins and all of this is uh you know in light of the ongoing pandemic where they're having a coaching transition they hire this o-line coach from georgia sam Pittman, who nobody knows about not the flashy splash hire that a lot of people probably were predicting where and do you win, where do you win games in coach in the trenches in the trenches in the trenches but you know I think it got some, some, some heads. It was, you know, the receiving some head scratching from people on Twitter and stuff. Um, but all of this in light of COVID and you've got to install a new program and, and get a new staff in there and, and get to know these kids. And, and it's, it's makes it even all the more impressive. So Arkansas gets my surprise of the, of the, of the season. Coach, no joke. I had them fourth on my list. That is awesome. I want to add one more tidbit to support your, your case there. Who'd they play this past week and lost to Florida, right? Uh, I thought that was two weeks ago. Or was it two weeks ago? Yeah. Okay. I thought. Okay. So the last time, I believe, the last time they played, though. Was I thought LSU. Yes. Okay. Yes. So so the Florida game, Felipe Franks had a chance to, to kind of get back at his old team. But up yes. until that Florida game, they had covered the spread six games in a row. That's unheard of. Like, that is really good, just so you know. So that's another thing that Arkansas had going for them to show you that everyone was betting against them, even, even Vegas, and they still were able to cover. Obviously, I got Northwestern, like Coach said. You beat Iowa. You beat Purdue. You beat Wisconsin. You're 5-0. and Now, the only thing I'm going to say bad about Northwestern, I think eventually, maybe it catches up to them, maybe not but they can't run the ball. They can't run the ball well enough. You look at the last few games, that's my only concern for them. But Pat Fitzgerald is the new PJ Fleck with row the boat, right? So, so Northwestern is, and I, I'm an ACC old school Big East guy, but I got to give credit to Northwestern. Um, so that's, that's the one team. I don't want to take any thunder from JT. I do have another team written down, but I'm Go ahead. No, no, no. You're, you already said it? row the boat. Can I say Can I say Strictly forbid you from saying on this I, show. And I know. I, coach, I, thought, I thought we had a burial for that no. on a previous episode. But and anyway, I know, but go ahead. I know Coach Cassidy's going to agree with this one. BYU. Zach Wilson for Heisman. They're 9-0. Blew out Boise State. 
I'm going BYU as well. Yeah, you stole my thunder a little bit. I definitely had BYU, but I feel like that was a real easy choice for all the reasons you named. Undefeated, Zach Wilson's actually looking like um, the quarterback that should be taken in the first round that all the scouts are, you know, hyping him up to be. So uh, I like that. Uh, there's just so many. Uh, you guys had great choices. Um, this is a really hard question for me to answer because not everyone's played all their games yet. So it's kind of hard to say who the surprises are, but we have to go with what we've seen. I'm, you're going to kick me for this, but maybe I'm the only one that's surprised. I'm surprised at UNC. And I think uh, North Carolina Tar Heels. So the reason I'm surprised by them is I just can't put – I can't wrap my head around how Matt Brown got fired from Texas because people essentially thought the game on the field and off the field had passed him by. And then he goes to UNC – and they're putting up 50 points a game. Now, they're giving up 50, but shoot, as a Canes fan, if you tell me that we are guaranteed to get 35 or more a game, I will take that. And I don't understand how that's going on. And you look at their record, what, 6-2? and two? Uh, They're 2-2 they're two and two in the – they're what? Uh, in the conference. They're 6-2 and two in the conference. And I just don't understand, like, where did this come from? Like, they, they might be – the most dangerous looking offense. Like I wouldn't want to play them on neutral field. Cause you know, how are we going to stop them from getting the 35 and most teams can't do that. So as a Canes fan, that makes me sad, but that's one of my biggest surprises. I don't know how Mac Brown's doing it. However he's doing it. We need to go up there and put some spy cameras and get the secret sauce. Cause Miami is not doing that. We got Rhett Lashley. We good. Relax. Over. Red ain't doing this. Uh, who's the OC at UNC. Cause I know Mac Brown ain't calling these plays. What's their record? Yeah, so what's it matter? Next. <laughs> They're six and two. Six and two. You're giving up 50. You got it. You pick your poison. That's why they're giving up 50 points. Look, is if, they're we could score, if we could score 50, we might have beat Clemson. Anyway, so let's flip the script. Uh, which team has been the most disappointing? Go see. The most disappointing. So, uh, again, I, I think there's a couple way to look, a couple ways to look at this. You can look at, like, the preseason polls and the preseason predictions and see how far different teams have fallen from those expectations or just, like, overall, like, who's having a horrible year. Um, and I think what's interesting is I look back at the preseason AP poll and five, six, seven, you guys know who was who where? Five, six, seven. I'm going to go – it's, it's Penn been so blown Penn up. I can't even I got to think it's Penn State, Michigan, somebody else. Uh, Michigan Oklahoma? down a little bit. It was Oklahoma, yeah. uh, LSU, Penn State. Um, so I think there's arguments to be made about a bunch of different teams out there. Um, but who's talking about Florida State? I know both of these Canes fans are excited to talk about Florida State as the most disappointing team. No, I mean, we kind of expected that, though. <laughs> I mean, so I think you can make a really strong argument that Florida State is, um, you know, among the most disappointing teams out there. Uh, if you look at the preseason predictions for where they would finish in conference, it was sort of at the top of the second tier, um, you know, in the middle of the pack, but certainly not where they have found themselves, which is at the bottom above only Syracuse. Um, and, you know, they're bringing a bunch of talent back on defense. New coach, Mike Norvell, was supposed to come, come in and invigorate the offense, really develop the quarterbacks, um, and get some positive energy going in a program that so desperately needs it, as you guys know. Um, 
and it just has not materialized. Uh, so they find themselves at two and six and, uh, you know, it doesn't look like it's going to get any better with UVA, um, and, uh, Duke remaining on their schedule here. Uh, and it's only gotten uglier in the last couple of weeks with like all the news of people opting out, transferring Blackman's leaving the program. Um, and, uh, obviously the latest controversy with Clemson. So it's just, it's been a tough year for Florida state and truthfully, um, you know, it's hard to see how much positive momentum can go into, uh, next season. Hold on before Don, before you go unpopular opinion, is FSU in a better or worse position than they were under Willie Taggart than they are right now? Yes or no? You're asking me? I'm asking either one of you. I was mainly asking Kosey, but oh. I'm asking either one of you. Because you, it's, 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 yes, it is disappointing, but are, are they better than they were when Willie was there, or is this worse? They made a bowl game last year. FSU fans I, do not want to hear that. <laughs> I, I think I, I'm going to say they were – I think they've hit rock bottom. So what that means is they're going to start to turn the corner. So that's why I think it was worse under Taggart, not because it's his fault. I think it was the previous regime, the way they left it for Willie Taggart, um, because they didn't realize how bad it was under Taggart. And when you don't realize it, that's when it's really bad. So that's why I think it was worse under Taggart, because they had a false hope. They believed they were there. They believed they could compete, and they really couldn't. And things, because of that mentality, were, were just kept falling apart, falling apart. It was never going to get fixed until they hit rock bottom. And I think now they have. And I'm not saying they're going to win the title next year, but they can turn the corner now. And that's why I think it was worse under Taggart. Again, not solely Willie Taggart's fault. He inherited a oh, lot of terror. You know, no quarterback class by Jimbo and no offensive line. Well, they had so, quarterbacks. They just all ended up on last chance you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was, is really, again part of the problem yeah yeah really like the quintessential year zero in the rebuild process for norvell here so so it i i really like how you looked at it coach cassidy i looked at it in a different way i looked at it as a team that's winning but the expectations were 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 high and so i'm gonna go with georgia really disappointing and I know that sounds weird. They're five and two and we'll get to the rankings. They're in the top 10 of the college football playoff rankings, but you're five and two. You have maybe the best defense in the whole country when healthy. You're five and two. And who's your quarterback? Coach Cassidy, you're a college football expert. Who's their quarterback? Uh, gosh, I can't even remember his name now, but I, is it JT Daniels. <laughs> Nope. Newman? Nope. Who? I don't even know. I think it's Stennett, right? Like Stenson like, Bennett third or something, right? Yeah, yeah. And remember, he was there, transferred out, then I think went to JUCO and then transferred back in. That goes to show you the shambles. And the reason why I'm saying it's most disappointed is they had Justin Fields. Mm -hmm. They had Justin Fields. And JT, we don't usually agree on a lot of things, but when we do – that means we're absolutely correct. And I think neither one of us felt Fromm should have been picked over Fields. And it's coming back to haunt them right now. Yeah, absolutely. And so that is why they're the most disappointing. Because with this defense, if they had a Justin Fields, I think they could have beaten Alabama. They'd probably be 7-0. and 
Because like you said, everyone in the SEC has got offense this year, but who's got the defense? Georgia. And that's the only way they've got in the five and two. Let's face it. That is the only way they're five and two. And so you add Justin Fields, I think they're seven and oh and undefeated. That's why not just a disappointing season, but a disappointing program right now. They have no titles to show for the Mark Richter era and the Kirby Smart era because Tua took one from them. Really disappointing program. Yeah, uh, those are really good uh, choices. I'm surprised nobody nobody took the low hanging fruit with Penn State at 05. But too easy, too easy. Yeah, being it was a, too easy. Being a pit boy, that's too easy. I feel like I feel like the reason nobody picked it is because we thought one or the other person would pick it. So that's why nobody went the Penn State route. But we have to throw it out there. James Franklin, don't know what's going on. You're 0 and 5. That's tough. I'm gonna go with um something that pains me to say this because I love this team for obvious reasons, but it's UCF. And you look at just what UCF has been synonymous with over the past what three, four years, and then you look at this season in particular. I'm going to give UCF the same expectations that I gave UM at the beginning of the season. This is a weird year where if you're normally not in it, all you have to do is handle your business. That's what's in front of you. And you might have the easiest road you have to a college football playoff berth, maybe ever. And this is one of those years where a non-Power 5 team like them should be crashing the party, but they're not. What are they? Five and three overall, four and three in the conference. They're seventh in the AAC, which is a conference they normally dominate. And you got Cincinnati and Tulsa as the darlings of that conference, and they're making national noise. And you look at UCF, uh, 2017, they're 13 and 0. Uh, 2018, 12 and 1. Last year, 10 and 3. This is a far cry from the school that was screamed that they were national champs three years ago. And I don't know what it is, but it just seems like they have lost that magic since Scott, uh, since Frost and Mackenzie Milton since they left the building. And I don't know if this UCF team is the same program it was on track to be or it was just two years ago. And I know UCF fans every year are like, yeah, we're so used to, you know, winning 10 or more games. But I, that might not be the reality anymore. And I think this year is exposing it. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. First of all, if I can jump in. So, JT, you're right. JT Daniels is, I think, starting now at Georgia. I'd forgotten that. Uh, ah. uh, but, but see, that, that that goes back to my whole point. I, who, who knows? Who, know, who knew who it was? Your, your point about the magic at, at uh, UCF, one of my uh, teams that I was thinking about as most disappointing is Nebraska. Because now you're here at year three in the Scott Frost era, and they still haven't gotten anything going. Yeah. Uh, and Boot, based on your argument of, uh, you know, Georgia not being where they should be, my team on, on that category was Oklahoma. You know, expected to be a contender in the playoff, but you start out one and two with some, you know, bad in-conference losses. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's the first time that Oklahoma's had a quarterback that hadn't had any playing experience at the college level. So we, we, we just expected Lincoln Riley to keep it rolling, but – we should, we should have expected there was going to be uh, growing pains with Rattler because he had never played a college game really like that. All right. Everyone had good picks. So uh, let's move on to the college football playoffs. So as this seems to have been the whole year of sports, trying new things and experimenting a little bit. And it begs the question, 
should college football have expanded the playoff to eight teams considering everything that's been going on this year? Coach C. I think so. And I think, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago when this was started to, you know, get a lot of conversation on the airwaves um, and social media and stuff, I was kind of hesitant. But the more I think about it, the more I recognize, like, you know, how do we evaluate a 2-0 and or a 3-0 Pac-12 team compared to an 8-0 Notre Dame or something like that um, when in another, like a normal year, these teams would have played out of conference games, which would give you some comparative analysis and, um, you know, just more, like a more even and balanced schedule. And I think like, like end the debate, let eight teams get in there and let the debate be settled on the field by the teams. And, and that's it. And it's also like, uh, you know, more exposure, more revenue, uh, you know, more TV opportunity. So I, I can come up with no compelling reason not to expand it in this situation, even though initially I was kind of hesitant. Boy, when everything Coach C said is on my paper, I feel really smart because he's the college football expert. Like, it's unbelievable. I feel really smart right now. And I'm not joking. Like, it's unbelievable. I have everything on there. Um, man, <laughs> you know, the thing here is, Huh. Okay. We would have first point coach Cassidy made, we would have removed the decision really of whether or not to have a PAC 12 or big 10 team in the playoffs because PAC 12 is only playing seven games. There's a chance one of those teams might go six and O and not be able to play that additional makeup game. And what do you do with that? They're six and O they've played everyone you've, you've asked them to play. COVID took its, 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 you know, reared its ugly head. So what do you do? That would have eliminated things, right? Because at that point, hey, if you're a 9-1 ACC team, another Pac-12 team, 6-0, I still hear the argument being an ACC guy. But at least then you can say, hey, you had seven other spots, right? So it would have eliminated that. Um, no one's really going to argue, oh, eight's too many. You know, like no one's going to care about that. And plus, Coach C, what you were saying, the more football, the better. Give me more football. If you say sign me up more football, I'm signing up. I'm first in line. More football cannot be bad. Give it, me more meaningful football, if, if, if anything. And that's the thing, more meaningful football, because it tri it's a trickle-down effect. That team that is and 7-1 playing a 6-2 and two team, that might be a play-in game for that number eight spot this year. So that's just more teams having more reason um, and what did we say, JT? What was the slogan of NCAA? <laughs> always dropping the ball. Yeah, always, always dropping the ball. Always That's what the they ball. did here again. Cause like coach, coach C said the revenue part, and this is why they needed to make up that revenue. There's a lot of bowl games that are not going to be played. The Bahamas bowl comes to my mind. Now you might say, Oh, that, you know, it's the Bahamas bowl. Who Out of all that? the bowl games but, that come to your mind, the Bahamas bowl is it? But, but what I'm saying is that I believe that was one of the first to kind of bail because of the travel. And so you need to replace that revenue. You may not think it makes a lot of money, but as a, as a whole, right. That's a lot of TV money that's down the drain now. So you got to make it up. And what better way to have really meaningful games that are playoff games. Expand and then the, playoff. the whole school thing always comes up and coach Cassidy, maybe, maybe you can kind of help, help either, uh, 
prove me wrong or, or, or help my, my case here, but they always talk about we can't have more playoff games because now kids are going to miss way more school. But the thing is, they're remote right like they now. they care about oh, that. Hold on. But, but that aside, that aside, because not everybody. That, that's, that's a big point, though. And I, I get what you're saying, but, but they don't finite, care. But it's a finite amount of players because realistically, there's only so many that go to the pros, right? So putting that aside, because that's always going to be a, an easy argument. But my argument is a lot of those schools are probably going remote at this point anyway. So, like, they can take that same class when they're on the road or after practice anyway. So the school issue here should not be a problem that, oh, they're playing an extra game. Well, they've only played eight or nine games to begin with. So a lot of factors that they should have done eight. Yeah, I agree with you guys. Um, yeah, more football, the better. This would have been the perfect season to do it just because the season is unique. So this would have also been a good way to gauge it with fans because you know you're gonna have some people that are happy about it like we are but you're gonna have some people that are pretty pissed off you know like well hey why is BYU getting in and like Florida's not getting in so it's never gonna make any everybody happy but I think this would have been a good test to see how the average fan feels about teams they don't know anything about getting into a, a college wall playoff and getting a chance at a national championship so this is a perfect way to to gauge that but I don't see how they would have made it work because of what you said. Conferences are starting late. Some weren't going to play at all. There's the COVID factor. You know, how do you deal with the travel and playing? If the NCAA wanted to do this from the beginning, they had to do what we talked about before the season started. You had to turn this into a bubble, some sort of bubble situation where you're isolating the kids from the physical campus. We didn't think about it at the time, but you made a good point about the virtual classes. They could have done virtual school the entire year making sure, you know, you still got to pass your classes, checking at X, Y, and Z time. And then when you're not doing that, we're in this bubble focusing on the football game. We're playing against other teams, and we know they're quarantined too. And I don't know if they do it by conference or by region, but they could have – they NCAA could have found a way to be all on the same page with this. But like you said, what, what does NCAA do? They drop the ball, so that's why we're in this situation. That's true. That's true. Um, we should be their marketing people. Because nah, I think buy, people would actually laugh quarter. at that. They we, would laugh would at that. It would cost them so much money. <laughs> We'd actually help them, I think. They'd be well, legit. If they hired us, they will be broke. We're putting out bad messaging on their image. And also, we're going to be for play, paying the players. So they're going to lose more money <laughs> by hiring us. But uh, hey, look, if you're looking for, you know, two young, up and, cut, up and coming, you know, cutting edge guys that you want to do something different, not necessarily better, hire us. We're, we're cheap. We think outside the box. Yeah. So college football playoff rankings, Coach C, all that stuff we just talked about, that's great and dandy, but this is why we bring you on. This is where you make your money. This is why you make the big bucks, all right? College football playoff rankings came out Tuesday night. Now, the top four, we had number one was Alabama, two was Notre Dame, three was Clemson, a one-loss Clemson, and four was Ohio State, who has only played uh, four or five games but undefeated. So, guys, now that we know, just focusing on the top four here, uh, Coach C, you go first. Do you agree with the playoff committee's top four? And even if you do, just briefly, do you agree with the order? Uh, you know, I, I was a little surprised that they put Ohio State down at number four behind Clemson. I think um, – 
you know, obviously Clemson's loss is to Notre Dame. It's on the road. It's without Trevor Lawrence and uh, several starters on defense. So, and, you know, it's a a game that goes into overtime, right? Um, So all these mitigating factors, but I still think, um, you know, being a one loss team, uh, Notre Dame, or uh, excuse me, Clemson probably should have been number four. Ohio State probably should have should have been number three. Um, and I think Ohio State really got penalized for the eye test, basically. Um, you know, playing Penn State in a somewhat sloppy, somewhat close game. And obviously, we know Penn State's had a really down year. Um, and, you know, really struggling with Indiana, going into halftime with a commanding lead. Uh, and then, you know, giving up almost 500 yards through the air. Justin uh, Fields throws three picks. Um, so, you know, just not looking that crisp for a couple weeks uh, within their four wins. Um, you know, the, the eye test hurt them in the committee's eyes, but I, I, de- I definitely think that the uh, undefeated nature of their season so far, even if it's only four games, should have them at number three. Um, but that's, that's my take. Num- number, one and number, number one and number two are a no-brainer, I think. JT, what do you think? Yeah, um, I agree with the with the four teams because I think those are the four teams that, at the end of the day, everyone pretty much wants to see in the college football playoff. I, I'm agreeing with Coach C on. I'm shocked that Ohio State was that was that low at number four. But here's the thing that also is shocking to me: two things. One, I don't know if this is a sign of things to come because obviously this this initial ranking is showing that the committee is not playing favors with the sec because there's two one loss sec teams out there so you got a&m and you got florida like they're one loss teams and i was sort of i was shocked like i said where ohio state was ranked but i was shocked that if you're penalizing ohio state for probably not playing as many games as the other teams then why then why didn't they do what they normally do is like all right, whoever that second best SEC team is, we're going to put them as high as possible so we can guarantee guarantee two teams, SEC teams are going to be in there. So that's the only thing that was a little shocking to me. But other than that, I'm okay with the order. I'm okay with the, um, the four teams. So, uh, yeah, I'm not going to disagree with anything you guys said. Not going to disagree with – You want to, though, but go ahead. I, I do, your but, face. but I'm not. Uh, no, I'm, I'm actually kidding. No, I – I'm not going to disagree, and I'm not going to disagree with the playoff committee's top four. I agree, Coach Cassidy, with you that I was surprised Ohio State was four and not three. That was kind of really shocking. So with all that said, I have a couple questions for you guys. Within kind of the the top ten teams or a couple of the, the, the blue blood programs, as, as you may say, first – Georgia is number nine. I've talked about them before. They're five and two. Oh, Oklahoma, JT, you kind of hit upon them. They're number 11 with two losses. Wisconsin's number 16. They've only played three games and they're two and one. Are those teams too high in your opinion? Or a combination or one or none, uh, Coach C? I think Georgia's definitely too high. Um, being a two-loss team, um, I think Oklahoma, they're trending in the right direction and they've looked good of late, but I also can't ignore what happened earlier in the season. Um, so, you know, I think they might be a little a little 
too highly rated also. Um, Wisconsin is kind of an interesting one because they did look so good there at first. Um, it's Michigan. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. Uh, but, you know, but really, really looked pretty pedestrian against Northwestern. So perhaps, um, yeah, I think that, I think that's fair to say they're all a little over overrated there. JT, what do you, what do you that's think? That's a good point because, I mean, Northwestern is the definition of a pedestrian team. I mean, they win. <laughs> yeah, um, I agree with him. Oklahoma, it's more of, like you said, I can't ignore what happened in the beginning of the season, the struggles. Like, I can't seem to get the taste out of my mouth. So, I think they're too high. Wisconsin, not enough games, already a loss. I think there might be some other teams that deserve to be ahead of them maybe. Um, what was the other one you named? I'm sorry. Uh, Wisconsin, Georgia, and Oklahoma. Georgia, it's hard to say because at the end of the day, like you alluded to it, you know they have the best defense in the country probably, and it's the SEC team, so they're always going to be hanging around just in case they want, like I said, they want to go back and make sure somehow two SEC teams get in. But um, Georgia, it, I think, is is too high, but I can see why they're there. But the other two I definitely think are way too high for sure. So – that leads me to BYU. They, they were at number 14 by the College Football Playoff Committee. They're 9-0. and Coach C, are they too low in your opinion then? I think they're too low. Um, I know that they don't get a lot of love because they don't have any Power 5 conference wins. Um, they don't get a ton of exposure. They play late. They play on weeknights. Um, so not a ton of people have seen them play. But when you actually sit down and watch them, they're a really physical football team. They've got a lot of weapons on offense. Um, and, and, and they're rolling. And they're just destroying the competition, even if it's not name brand Power 5 programs. So where would you put them? Top 10? And then who do you take out? Um, I don't know if they're top 10 worthy, but maybe at that, like – 11, maybe 12. maybe at 11 and slide Oklahoma down. Okay. Uh, you know. and, and, and JT, do you think BYU is too low at 14? And if so, then where do you put them? But who do you take out? Um, see, the funny thing is, I do think they're too low because I actually think, like, like Coach C said, I think they're a good team. They're physical. They maybe have the best non-Power 5 player like in the country and the quarterback. But I understand why they can't allow them into the top 10 because essentially what's dangerous and could happen is if they're undefeated, they have, what, one game left. So they're probably going to win that and they're going to be undefeated on the season. You move them into the top 10, then you start having to, okay, do we put them above some of these SEC teams that have one loss? Clemson has one loss. What if Clemson loses again? Like, do you do you have – a two-loss Clemson team, but they lost twice to Notre Dame, or do you let BYU into the party? So it's very dangerous to, to put them into the top 10, but I'm all for it because, I mean, they've won the games. What do you want them to do? You, you can only play who's on the schedule. So I, you know, I, I at first thought Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Georgia, too high, BYU's too low. And I, and I think BYU should – even if you got to take Miami out of at number 10. No, 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 put BYU. Miami, you cannot take Miami out. Hold on. What I'm saying is that would be fine. But when we look at Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Georgia being too, like, who do you really replace them with? Because you've got teams like Iowa, who's still 23rd. 
Coach C, I know you always talk about Iowa, but like they're 23rd at three and two. Like, who are you going to jump to put above Oklahoma to put a ball? Because I know what people are going to say. Miami's too high. Like, who are you going to put beside BYU? Who, who should go into number 11 for Oklahoma? Who should go into number nine for Georgia? Who should go into number 10 for Miami? I don't see it. You're going to put Indiana at four and one? Uh, all right. I guess there's an argument, but I have just as many arguments for Miami because until Indiana made that comeback, I guarantee you all football fans were like, yep, Indiana, they're not, they're not for real. They've had an easy schedule. Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State. Those three teams there, how many wins do they have? Two? Two? I mean, that is not a very difficult schedule that Indiana has had. So well done. It, you just go look at the other teams. Oregon, I'm a big Oregon fan. They're number 15, but they're 3-0. and How can you jump a Miami who's 7-1? and Yes, we got, and I say we, but Miami got smacked by Clemson. But again, they've still played five more games. So that's five more chances to show weaknesses as well as strengths. So what do you do there? And so at first I was kind of had a knee jerk reaction, but then I'm like, maybe besides Georgia, I still think they're too high, but like Oklahoma, I'm fine with Wisconsin. I still think it's too high, but I don't know who you replace them with. Let me ask you a question. Do you think BYU is better than Cincinnati, Florida, Texas A&M or Oregon? See, I don't like when people say it's the four best teams. Is this team better than that? Until they, until they play, but to me, it should not be the four best teams because what happens if Clemson's 0 and 4, Trevor Lawrence was hurt all four games, come back, the best team, (laughs) but Trevor Lawrence has been hurt. Then they come back and they win the rest of their nine games and they go nine and four in ACC champs. They should not get in because they haven't earned it. They may be the one of the four best teams at this point, but they haven't earned it. And so that's why I think BYU, it's not a matter, are they better than Florida? I don't know if they play because it only takes one game for them to win. But what I'm saying is we're putting Florida and A&M in those spots because they're SEC teams, right? You look at Miami, they're 10 compared to, compared to A&M. Who has A&M really beaten besides Florida that puts them that much ahead of Cincinnati and Miami. It's because they're in the SEC. They were actually getting beat pretty bad by Alabama until the second half when Alabama started to ease up. And same with Florida. They lost to A&M, who lost to Alabama. So it's tough to say who's better. I mean, obviously, I guess you would say A&M in Florida. But to me, that doesn't give you the right that BYU should be below them. I agree, but I agree. I think – I think BYU and maybe Cincinnati should be ahead of some of those teams, but you know what happens by letting them move that high. That to, they, I'm telling you, they don't want a non-Power 5 team to crash this party. They don't want that well, to happen. Of course not. Of course not. So, 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 you can't, so you can only push BYU and Cincinnati so high. Now, the thing that's messing it up is both of those teams are really good, and they, they aren't losing any games. So it's like as some of these bigger schools – namely a Clemson and uh, A&M Florida, they probably may lose another game. Like naturally you're going to have to push them down if BYU and Cincinnati are undefeated. So you got to keep them at bay. If not, it's a free for all. Whoever has the best record gets in. And then it might end up being those two teams rather than like a power traditional team. 
it is interesting to see how far uh, BYU and Cincinnati are ranked apart from one another. Uh, and it's also it'll also be interesting to see if the rumors about them perhaps playing on December 5th come true as like a, you know, little de facto quarterfinal. Oh, don't try. even, don't even, don't even show up. Don't, if you're good at something, never do it for free. Make them make, make them play us in the college football playoff where the payoff is real. Well, I mean, I guess, Coach C, anything else before we move on? No. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. So is is there a team – so let's look outside the top ten now. Is there a team outside the top ten based on these rankings as of right now that can make some noise or even play a part in determining who ends up being in the top four? Coach C, you know you're going first all the time. Well, all right. Um, well, I think um, the two that jump out to me are one, Oregon. Um, but I think it's unlikely because everything has to drop in their favor. Like they have to play all the rest of their games. They have to win all the rest of their games. And so that uh, obviously uh, means that they have to stay healthy and all their opponents have to stay healthy. And then um, their opponents have to keep holding up like relatively decent records. Like the PAC 12 hardly has any teams in the rankings. Washington's not ranked. The only other team is USC. So then they need USC to keep winning and beat USC in a PAC 12 title game. So I think the odds actually don't look great for Oregon, even if they end up being like a seven and O PAC 12 champion. Um, and I, but I think the team to look out for in terms of like a spoiler uh, would be Auburn. Uh, you know, if you've got the Iron Bowl this weekend and you've got uh, – It's already know, time for the Iron Bowl. Man, okay. this year's going and by fast. You know how these rivalry <laughs> games work. Crazy things happen. Throw the records out. And, you know, what happens if uh, Alabama falls to Auburn? Who knows? True, true. true. I, I like those picks. JT, what do you got for us? Um, Good picks, Kosi. Um. I'm going to go with UNC, and it's because they still have Notre Dame on their schedule. Anytime, like I said, anytime you can average and put up 35 points a game, you're basically in it no matter how bad your defense is. But if I'm not mistaken, they still play UM. That's number – well, they're number 10 in the AP poll right now. Number 10 in the college football playoff rankings. They're number 10 in the college football football playoff rankings. So – I mean, they still think UM's somewhere around there if things happen. UNC gets a chance to play spoiler to both of those teams. More so Notre Dame as, you know, they're looked at as a top team, but even UM trying to knock on the door and see if there's some scenario we can sneak in as well. UNC could drop both of us and the conversation could be dead. I, I, you guys have had two great picks in, in JT. I actually had UNC written down. But then I kind of switched my pick. So I'm glad you went with UNC. I've got Tulsa. And they're ranked 25th. They've got one loss. And you know why they're going to play an important part. Because if they can finish doing what they're doing, they got to play Cincinnati. They play Cincinnati. And that may be the game that either Tulsa for sure kicks Cincy out of the conversation altogether. Or... Even if they lose, they play a part because now since he says, hey, look what we've done, a top 25 team with one loss, that may be their best win on the, on the season for Cincinnati, and they're already seventh. 
they're just waiting for the Floridas, the A&Ms, and maybe Northwestern in the fall. So I think the Tulsa-Cincy game could be a determining factor on whether a non-Power 5 team gets in. So that leads us to the big question. So we're going to do it from today. From today, this is it. You've got to make your predictions now. Coach C, we'll go to you first. What four teams make the playoffs? Give it to us. So even though I'm talking about uh, the Gus boss and Auburn spoiling uh, Alabama's chances. It's okay. I, they don't need to be – yeah, yeah, this no, doesn't I, need to – I don't actually think that's going to pan out. I think Alabama probably wins out. I think they probably beat Florida in the SEC title game. They look – you know, I feel like weirdly, quietly, they're just having like an incredible season and they're not getting a whole lot of, uh, you know, coverage or, or discussion. Um because of, you know, I don't know, COVID or the ACC or, or something going on. It's the on. LeBron James effect. We just expect uh, this from them. So it's, it's like not, not surprising anymore. I guess so. Um, but so, I, you know, I'm going to keep Alabama there at number one. Um, I think well, Clemson. Can we each say, JT, you oh, got yeah. Alabama as well? Uh, as number one? Yeah. Uh, no, I got oh, all, right, all right, Coach C, go ahead and finish. Oh, He's all, oh, JT's wow. always got to be difficult. Go ahead, give us your four. This coaches. is at the end of the year. Right, so I think, um, I think you know, honestly, today I think Ohio State probably wins out also. Um, and so then you add like Northwestern to their resume, an undefeated conference champion, they slide up to number two. Um, you know, maybe Coach Day corrects these mistakes on film. The guys tighten up. The run game still looks good. Field stops throwing the ball to the other team, and and they finish undefeated. So they're number two. Uh, and then Clemson uh, gets the revenge win over Notre Dame. Um, Trevor's back. They're healthy. Um, and it's it's not in South Bend. It's in Charlotte. Uh, so. Then you have two teams from the ACC who have beaten one another but are, have been in the top four all year, um, and each with one loss. Uh, so you give Clemson the three and Notre Dame the four. Ooh, okay. Very nice. JT. Are you sure you want give, me to go Give it to or? us. Go ahead, I guess. You always got to be special. You always got to feel like No, I, I do think Ohio State, I think they'll run the table in their conference. I think, like you said, uh, Coach C, they'll get – They'll get better the more they they play. They'll get a rhythm. I think they'll ultimately end up being number one. I do think Clemson gets revenge in the title game against Notre Dame, so they're going to slide up to number two. Uh, Bama's at three, and then I have Notre Dame still at four. Okay, so you guys have the same teams, just different orders. So, again, JT, I'm going to be the guy that tries to think outside the box, probably hurts Don't myself. Don't you tired of doing that? Because that, that, that very rarely works out for you. I know. It's been my life. It's been my my MO. I'm, I'm going to keep going with it. Number one, I'm going to say Alabama. They just look way too good. I don't think there's anybody in the SEC that can actually beat them, even on any given Saturday. Uh, Clemson, number two, I think they get their revenge. And I think at some point, either Notre Dame loses the UNC or Clemson beats them pretty handily to where people feel like, eh, you were at home, no, no Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, you're out of the top four. This is where it gets dicey with me. Coach C, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I think Northwestern ends up beating Ohio State in the title game. All right, I'm so, walking off set. And so Northwestern is number three. And then the first non-Power 5 team to make it 
Cincinnati will be the fourth team. So I've you got Bama, Clemson, Northwestern, Cincinnati. Hey, between this and your basketball predictions, just go to Vegas because I feel like you're just saying stuff now just to be outlandish. So, like, if this crazy stuff hits, you're going to, like, claim yourself as this, you know, genius. But realistically, this yeah, has it a could shot, happen, right? Some things need This to is happen. better than your basketball prediction, but, yeah, I get so, where you're going. Some things need to happen. Really, it's going to – you look at Northwestern's schedule, they shouldn't lose until the Big Ten title game. I think they play Illinois – they play two two other teams that can give them a tough game, but at the end they're they're not going to beat uh, Northwestern. And then Cincinnati, I, I don't see. Dude, Cincinnati's been so good. Like even games that are supposed to be close, like that that other team's not even in it. Even if they are, Cincinnati still knows they're better, and that's a sign of a really really good team. And so I think at the end of the day. A&M somewhere, Florida or Florida somewhere is going to lose. Like I said, Notre Dame, I think, gets beat real bad by Clemson or gets tripped up by UNC. Cincinnati finally gets in. And they'd be worthy of it because they were once a Big East team, and I think the committee maybe remembers that. <laughs> Formerly a power conference. Exactly, exactly. Before, before Miami de- defected. Once Miami left, it was over for the Big East. So, no love for Coastal Carolina, but that's all right. Well, while you're talking all this Cincinnati stuff, I, I we I feel like we have to mention Desmond Ritter before the end of the podcast for just being such a such an incredible player and so much fun to watch. Um, and I'm surprised he's not getting more publicity. Yeah, I, I think um, I think Zach Wilson over at BYU kind of gets that dark horse, you know, QB look, but. He is. And I'll tell you what, they're a tough team. He's a tough guy at Cincy. And that's what I mean. I think when they take the field, they just know they're going to win and they feel like they're the better team all the time. And that's just a dangerous team. But JT, nothing else while we have Coach Connor before we we say goodbye to him? No, no. Just thank you again for coming through and gracing us with the wisdom. I know we can only get it once or twice a year, but every time you come on, it's always a great show, man. We really appreciate it. Oh, it's, it's a great pleasure. It's good, good to be back with you guys. And I don't know how I'm getting any of this clout. Uh, you guys deserve it. I'm learning everything uh, from you guys. So. It's because you're in a recruiting magazine. That's why. Like, once you're, once you're ranked, it's all good. <laughs> unless, unless you're LSU. <laughs> so, yeah, Coach C, thank you again for your time. Great job, as always. And – We'd love to have you back either before the end of the year or at least at the end of the year or maybe heading into the playoffs to go over these uh, our top four teams. How about that? Sounds great. All right. Thank you again, Coach. Take care and happy Thanksgiving. Well, JT, that was a great job by Coach Connor Cassidy. Thank you again to him. And so let's get into – little NFL, JT. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. So one of the big storylines from this past weekend, Joe Burrow, unfortunately. Um, You know, it was an action-packed weekend in the NFL, but it came with some bad news. Another another knee injury to one of the rising stars in the league. This time, Joe Burrow went down and is out for the year with a torn ACL and torn MCL. He also suffered other structural issues. 
So one of the big questions being thrown around, JT, is do you blame the Bengals for this injury? Yeah, because anyone that's watched the Bengals this season, I, I you don't wish injury upon anybody, but you kind of felt like this was a ticking time bomb. The Bengals have one of the worst offensive lines in the league. And you could just see it, you know, it, it was building up. Burrow was getting hit every game, every game, every game. You knew eventually, like, he would get hit one time and he might not get up. But I do blame the Bengals. It's just because how do you how do you have this – essentially, you see it. He's a, he's a franchise quarterback. Every bit worth the number one pick that some people thought he was. And, you know, we had some doubts about was he, you know, product of the system at LSU. He shut us up early on. He proved he's the guy. But – how do you not spend any draft capital, any free agency money to build the offensive line around him when you know this is the franchise, you got to protect him? The Bengals have had the worst line in football the past three years. So for you to invest the number one pick in a guy who's supposed to be your future and to not invest the money in the tools to actually protect him, that is like negligence at its finest. You know, it's, it's easy to just uh... – blame the Bengals, right? That they didn't do enough of this or that. But they have offensive weapons, right? They put some weapons around him. And, for example, Joe Mixon, they still have A.J. Green, but they got Tyler Boyd, right? They have Higgins. So the thing is, injuries happen sometimes. And we saw that. We've seen it things with Dak Prescott, you know, Alex Smith a couple years ago. Teddy Bridgewater has been hurt this year. Drew Brees has been hurt this year. Ben Roethlisberger has had injuries. I mean, that stuff happens. And the offensive line has improved. Now, I won't go so far as to defend some of Zach Taylor's comments afterwards about there's been a revolving door. Of course there has been. That's not a good way to defend yourself, uh, Coach Zach Taylor. But they've improved. And you say they haven't spent any draft capital. Well, yes, they have. 2019, you know who they took in the first round? What, the, the kid from Bama? Yes, Jonah Williams, offensive and that, that line. And that hasn't helped. They have, that hasn't helped. Fourth round that same year, they drafted Michael Jordan, not the Michael Jordan, but another offensive hey, lineman. I wish it was the Michael Jordan. <laughs> another offensive lineman. Then this past year in the sixth round, they drafted another offensive lineman, Hakeem Adeniji. Um, and – they also went out in free agency and tried to shore up their line with a three-year deal to uh, Xavier Suofilo. So an who was terrible guard, in Houston, an offensive guard. But my whole point is they tried. They've tried. Like it's not easy building an offensive line. Like Ben Roethlisberger gets the ball out in two seconds. He doesn't need to have a great offensive line. So this is the thing. If you want to blame anybody for the injury, even though injuries happen, you got to blame the offensive system, not the fact that they didn't build offensive line. You know, you don't have a great offensive line. Get the ball out quick. Like Ben or, you know or run it. How about you use your running back that you just paid this big contract to, because that's the well, thing for the life if, of me. I don't understand about the Bengals. They refuse to make Joe Mixon a workhorse, okay, but they want to pay him like one. That is true, but he's always injured. He hasn't played in like half the year. So that's yeah, a little but bit also on, too, I feel Mixon like too. it reports are that he's not really as hurt as maybe the, the time he's missed would indicate because if they were a little bit more competitive, maybe he would be back. But I mean, they could have ran him in the beginning of the season. They weren't. 
they weren't giving him the work that you think that all everybody thinks that mixers should get. But especially like you said, you know your line is bad. Yes, you've invested these this draft capital to improve it. It hasn't worked. Your line is still bad. Protect your guy until you get the right pieces in there. Run the ball. You 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 paid a running back. Run him into the ground. So if I'm gonna blame someone, I'm gonna say not so much a front office, but Zach Taylor. You got to do what the Steelers did. They got Bruce Arians out there, brought in Todd Haley and now Feekner, and they worked around saying, hey, we got to save Ben from the hips. So if anything, got to change that offensive system. Uh, so now, speaking of his injury, do you think this affects his future, meaning Joe Burrow's future in the NFL? Hmm. I want to say yes, but uh, Rob on an earlier segment kind of, kind of talked me out of this like off camera about Burrow and saying that his game is not really based on athleticism. I agree with him to a point, but I do think athleticism saved him longer than it, than it probably would have if he weren't a mobile quarterback. But I do think it's going to affect his future because you've had a knee injury, not maybe to this extent, but you've, you've torn an ACL. Were you ever the same after that? Well, no, but I'm gonna guess. I'm not, I'm not saying you were like a four, <laughs> a four, four, forty flat athlete, but I mean, shoot, I mean, you're pretty quick. Were you the same after that? I would say that I, you know, I didn't rehab the way these guys do, so it's a little bit unfair of a comparison. Like this is their job; they're gonna have the best trainers, they're gonna be in the best rehab facilities, and they're actually gonna rehab it. Whereas, you know, I'd go a little bit here and there and do what I can. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. Well, the point I was trying to make is I th- I'm somewhere between he's ruined and the ceiling of his career is definitely, definitely taken off because it's not just the ACL. You're saying it's, the, it's been lowered. Oh, dramatically. Because it's the ACL, MCL, and there's other structural damage, which they're not disclosing, which we don't know. I saw the video. His whole knee looks destroyed. Like, he will definitely I'll, – I'll be surprised if he could walk straight by the by the beginning of training camp. Like, he will still have a limp. And it's just really tough to see. You saw he had athleticism. It's really tough to see him getting that back. And you're assuming the line's all of a sudden going to be stellar when he gets back. I don't see that happening. To me, I feel worse about – this than I did about the RG3 injury when he first got hurt his first year in Washington. And because he got hurt in the pocket, does he trust the pocket now? Because you know that he's always going to be sort of like Alex Smith is now, you know, not trusting the pocket, not stepping up in the throws because he's worried about guys around his legs and around his knees. And I just really worry about him living up to his potential, especially with that organization calling the shots. Yeah, the the injury... Don't quote me on this. I mean, quote me on this, but I'm I'm going like prisoner a moment. I believe that it will not be a shock if they're looking to draft another quarterback in two to three years. Well, the injury could have been even a lot worse than what it was. He was able to get his foot out underneath kind of the, the defense alignment. Um, you know, the, the part that worries me, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit, but I also agree with you in one respect is I'm worried about the severity of the other structural damage. If it was just uh, MCL and, a- and ACL, yeah. I'd be like, that's fine. Right. 
I, I wonder what that other structural damage means because I think I think it's 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 probably either a dislocation or a fracture at some point because like you see the video clearly you can see the ACL the MCL are gone and like his knee is the bone is basically like right. shifting out of place right. I'm assuming there's some sort of fracture or dislocation there so I, I'd be I'm worried. not a doctor by the way I'm just saying my speculation <laughs> I'd be worried about that but at the same time listen we've seen guys come back from this tom brady had a had a bad injury carson palmer took a helmet to the knee he was a Bengals quarterback teddy bridgewater they're saying that was so bad like they didn't know if he'd be able to walk again and look mm -hmm. at him now look at him now he's on his second team he's on a on a huge contract so but no ben mobility but but this is the thing while joe burrow did not He's not a Lamar Jackson. He's not even really a Russell Wilson, but he's, he just needs to be mobile. And I think he'll still be mobile. He's young. He's athletic. Like, that, that, that just doesn't leave you. Now, granted, is he going to be where he was this year, one year from now? No, they're saying it's going to take 9 to 12 months. But as far as how it affects his future, like, he's still going to have a future. The thing is, just that other structural damage, how bad is it really? But I still think he's going to be okay. You hit it best. It may be more mental than anything, but physically after that next year, I think he'll be okay. So do you, do you think that he's on track to now be the same player that you thought you saw through the first like six games of the season? This injury doesn't drastically change that opinion. It does not. Okay. I guess that says more I about should, the Bengals than it does about him. <laughs> I should say does not drastically change my opinion, meaning I still think he can be a pro bowler one day. Absolutely. Yeah. I just, I just worry, man. This is such a bad injury and he hasn't fully learned the game yet at the NFL level that, you know, it's supposed to be, okay, you learn the first year and then the second year is supposed to slow but, down for you. Now you got to deal with getting comfortable again. But maybe that year off helps him with that. He gets a couple games under his belt in 2022 and he's off to the races and to be honest this may give them two more years of draft picks to put pieces around yeah i agree real quick before we move on to the next subject let's say uh, hypothetical he misses all of the next year because this this injury happened really late in the year i'm that's nine to twelve month recovery do they have to take a quarterback in the draft next year or do you think they just get one in free agency no i think if you can get a veteran in free agency or or run with Ryan Finley and then try yeah. to trade him for value. See what he's got. <laughs> this is not fantasy football. That's not how it works. <laughs> Speaking of – so we're staying on the quarterback. No wonder, no wonder my fantasy football teams always stink. So let's uh, stick with quarterbacks. Uh, another quarterback that made headlines this uh, past weekend, Taysom Hill for the Saints. So he debuted his first start for the Saints, was very successful on Sunday. Uh, starting in place of the injured Drew Hill, Taysom was 18 for 23 with 233 yards. No TDs through the air, but no interceptions as well. He did most of his damage on the ground, adding 51 yards and two touchdowns as the Saints won 24-9 at home against the Falcons. Don, does it look like he is the quarterback of the future in the NFL? You know, he, he still looked at the beginning a little bit like that QB that gimmick that, like yeah that comes that's what i have written down for that wildcat formation but he did look as the game progressed he looked more comfortable no doubt 
And he actually made some big time passes. They even slowed it down on ESPN and you have the analysts breaking it down. Like he made some really good throws and it's safe to say that, I don't know, maybe you disagree. It's almost safer to say that the Saints are more of a downfield deep threat offense with him than Drew Brees. Well, we've like, been saying that. That's one of the reasons yeah. why people were kind of clamoring for Jameis to get a shot is that, yes, Drew Brees is good, but he basically takes away any opportunity of having the deep shot and having these quarterbacks like Hill and Winston that can open up the passing game. You know, you're going to see those longer passes downfield. So we always knew that was the trade-off of, you know, not starting Drew Brees was this was going to happen. And to answer your question as far as does he look like a QB that has a future in the NFL, I think teams will take a chance on him as a, as a starting QB. If he keeps doing this well in either spot starts or for any extended period of time the rest of this year. Yeah, I agree. Um, I guess I have to say, because before we started, I was like, I guess, but I look at just the way the NFL is going at the quarterback position. And you got to be honest, like if Lamar Jackson can be a quarterback, then Taysom Hill can like all he needs is good coaching, some physical tools. I mean, he's got a, he's got a cannon, he's got the legs and, you know, a good system. So the, the pieces are there for him to be, you know, at least top half of the league as a starting quarterback. But the only thing I worry about with him is the saints obviously paid him. And that's why they're giving him an extended look over Jameis. And I don't know if you remember this, but remember when uh, Alvin Kamara signed that extension and we discussed it on this show. And one of the things I said was, I don't know how he fits if the quarterback is not Drew Brees. And it was for the reasons that you said, like Drew Brees is going to use a shorter area of the field rather than like the downfield passing that Winston or um, Hill is going to use. And you saw it. Alvin Kamara, first game in his career without a reception. And it was with Taysom Hill. And that's the only thing I worry about as pertaining to the Saints is, is he a good fit for what they have in place in the system they've been using? Or are they going to totally abandon that? But, um, I mean, yeah, he's a starter for sure. I mean, he's just got to stay healthy. He's got injury history and he's older than most people would think. But I, I think that he's got a shot. Well, the whole Kamara thing, listen, it's the first game. Hill will figure it out. They'll probably tell him, hey, you got to check it down at times. And maybe it actually opens things up because now defensive backs are further downfield. Less in the box. Less in the box. And on the shorter passes, he has a lot more room to go. But the other thing, too, is the Saints, you never know what they're going to do. I'm looking you up. Don't. The, you really never know I'm, what I'm you're going to do. I'm looking up the stats. He had 13 carries for 45 yards, Kamara. Latavius had 12 carries for 49 and then you throw in 10 more carries by Hill three ways so yeah like why is Latavius Murray getting one less carry than Kamara and if you look Kamara ran the wildcat a lot mm -hmm. like way more often than he ever does so like I, I can't blame Taysom Hill for the lack of production by Kamara in this one game I, I'll actually say it was more on the coaching staff well, I guess I kind of jumped ahead, but let's continue that conversation. So let's say if the Saints have continued success with Hill at the quarterback position, and let's say they're in first place when Breeze is ready to come back from injury, do they go back to Breeze or do they stay with Taysom? Man, I, I don't see. All right, so first, to the 
Taysom Hill fans, let's pump the brakes. This was the Falcons. Okay? Nah, they've been waiting for this, man. <laughs> <laughs> let's pump the brakes. It was the Falcons. You need that first round buy. So you need that way Michael Thomas and Drew Brees and Kamara are healthy. So you need that first round buy. I, I don't see Hill starting, even if he's playing well once Brees comes back. But what I could see, JT, is I could see him getting a lot more reps under or as the QB and maybe even getting like a series here or there. Like, so basically like that Minnesota playoff game last year. Almost exclusively, yeah, almost exclusively a whole series Taysom Hill. And, and they're throwing with him because I just don't see Peyton having enough guts, which he usually does, <laughs> but having enough guts to not go with Breeze. Unless Taysom Hill's been throwing 400-yard games and four TDs the next three games. Which he didn't do against the Falcons. And if exactly. you're going to have a 400-yard game, that would be the game to do it. Exactly. This is such a hard question to answer because – to me, it's it's the classic Alex Smith versus Colin Kaepernick situation. It's like Smith was the guy that was steady hand, steady hand, got hurt, and Colin Kaepernick was the new guy that they that they knew internally. He's different than what we're used to, and we can do a lot more things with him. Smith went down. Colin Kaepernick came in and played well. The, the train didn't stop, and then they had a decision to make, and obviously they went with Kaepernick. I do agree with you is that I don't think Peyton has the guts to make this call because what will happen is let's say they went out, Taysom Hill plays awesome and they don't go back to Drew Brees. Basically, if they don't win the Super Bowl, everybody's going to blame them for not putting back Drew Brees in his last year, basically saying this is what Drew Brees came back for. He's been our quarterback forever. He gives us the best chance to win. and You didn't play him for this unproven guy. You basically ruined the chance at the Super Bowl. I think that's, the backlash they will get. But the flip side is, if they play them, you know what you're getting with Drew Brees. You better hope they don't play outdoors against a semi-decent defense. They're going to struggle. So to answer the question, I think they have to go back to Brees just to save face. It is what it is. I don't think the Saints internally think they're going to win the Super Bowl anyway. They might as well just going out saying, well, hey, you know, we tried. We stuck with Brees to the end, but it just didn't work on to the next one next year it's a little different than the 49er situation because it's not exact but it's, it's got a, that feeling because but, it's uh, it's a crossing of the guard situation like Alex Smith I don't think they were going to keep him long term anyway obviously Drew Brees at the end of his career like they really think Taysom Hill is the I think they think he's the quarterback of the future they I paid so. him like it I think so too but the thing is like you said they brought Brees back for this reason but he's a Super Bowl winning quarterback and a future Hall of Famer, Alex Smith was neither of those. Mm -hmm. Number one of all pick, I get you. So <laughs> let's let's shift gears to everyone's favorite part of the show. We do this every week of uh, the NFL preview. I thought that was surprise JT, everyone's favorite. Yeah, uh, depends prediction. on who you talk to. Mm. Uh, definitely not mine. But uh, NFL preview, uh, we're going over week 12's uh, most exciting headlines, things we're looking forward and we're looking out for this week. So, Don, I'm going to kick it out, kick it over to you. What are you most uh, looking forward to this weekend in Week 12 in the NFL? I feel like there's an underrated game out there, and it's Chargers at the Bills. 
All right. And I know that's a weird game. Those quarterbacks are going to be on fire. (laughs) You know, that is a great quarterback matchup. But I was looking at it more in the Bills perspective. They're coming off a bye and they have a chance to really grab a control of that division, right, of the division lead now that the Dolphins lost last week. I want to see if they can answer the bell. I don't know if they can. They still haven't been able to show they can run the ball. The Chargers, yeah, they only beat the Jets, but there's got to be a little bit of confidence there. But you're right. It's going to be fun to see Herbert against Allen. But I want to see if the Bills can answer the bell at home. They should put the game away early if they are a true division champ and a true playoff contender. Uh, Real quick, two other things. Uh, If Teddy Bridgewater does play, if he's healthy enough to play, I think that's a great story, him going back to Minnesota to play to essentially try to end the Vikings season and put any hopes of the Vikings uh, in the playoffs to rest. And I think maybe he wants to prove them wrong that they moved on from him. Like he wasn't Mm -hmm. done, obviously, went to the Saints, did a great job backing up Drew Brees, got the big contract in Carolina, and is actually playing pretty well. So I hope Teddy balls out there. And then the last thing for our dudes at Bad Medicine um, podcast, Bears at Packers. Mm-hmm. Hell of a game. Big time. If the Bears win, look out. We're starting to see the magic of Foles come December time again. And really then – Well, you're assuming he's going to be the quarterback because last <laughs> I heard, they're both still hurt, him and Trubisky. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Who knows what's going to happen there. But if the Bears can win – it throws a whole wrench in the Packers division plan. Yeah, definitely uh, agree with everything you said. Um, I'm surprised you didn't bring up the one game everyone really wants to I watch. I left it it's, for you, man. It's the Steelers and the Ravens, the rematch. Oh, you can never get enough of this game. I feel like you guys should play this game once every three or four games, just like so we can have some good football. At least we know we're having it on the schedule. But reason why, other than it being a rematch, Steelers 10 and 0 undefeated streaks on the line. Ravens, my Super Bowl pick, they've been struggling a little bit, but it's still the Ravens. But basically, half the Ravens starters are on the COVID list. I think Dobbs and a few other people tested positive, but I think they're down 10 or 11 people that are on that COVID list. And really interesting to see if a couple things are going to happen. One, are they going to, I don't think they'll cancel the game, but are they going to move this game out of that primetime slot on Thanksgiving? so that the Ravens can actually have a chance to get some of those guys back because normally they would just move it to a Tuesday and give them that timeline to get healthy. But we talked about this offline. I think the NFL realized they made a mistake by not putting your first game on that Sunday night game where they played Dallas and Philly. And now that they have you guys in the primetime slot on Thanksgiving, no way they're moving that from that time slot. So I think it's Yeah. I said, that's a great point. Yep. Yeah, I think it's disadvantaged Ravens because they essentially have one more day to get everybody cleared of COVID testing. So um, definitely want to see how that that unfolds. But either way, it should be a great game. Uh, Another game that I'm really interested in seeing is uh, Washington at Dallas. It's because (laughs) everyone's still in the running for the NFC East. And um, Philly has looked worse. These two teams have actually looked better. So it's interested to see how they play in that game, who comes out on top. Uh, another one uh, is the Chiefs at the Bucks. I know the Bucks are coming off a hard loss on Monday night. 
But, I mean, it's Tom Brady versus Mahomes. This was one of the games that we said at the beginning of the year, you want to see it. I think they both put on their Sunday best and they come out and do something special. And then small thing that I want to see, it's not really the game, it's the player. Uh, Philly is at Seattle, I believe, this week. And I want to see if Carson Wentz can't keep up with Russell Wilson and have a good game against arguably the worst defense in the league. Will they actually have the gut, the guts to bench him for Jalen Hurts? I think if Wentz doesn't do it in this game, I think he'll be benched and you'll see kind of them going. So let's see what we got with Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I have a little bit of an issue with bench, benching Wentz because I don't think they've helped them with getting the enough. Is pe- bad, yeah. yeah, getting enough pieces around. The offensive line has been injured, and their play calls are not very good. JT, it'd be like third and 10 where they have a legit chance to get a first down, and they're doing a little two-yard in route into the linebacker. Like, that's not going to get it done, man. Yeah, I, I do. I think, I think Come Doug, on, Doug Peterson, Peterson should give up you're better than You're better than that. What? Doug Peterson, he's better than that. Yeah, he should give up play calling. But at the end of the day, two things. Wentz has played horribly and made some bad decisions. His situation is no worse than Joe Burrow, and Joe Burrow looks totally different all the season. And they don't really like him in the locker room. That's the rumor. So You've been saying that for a year. I'm starting I'm to believe you, they, it. I'm starting they don't to wanna, believe it. They seem like they don't want to play for him. It's been a couple years now, ever since that one game against the Lions where the offensive line just stood there and let him get sacked. I've been calling it. I think they want him to get benched because they're tired of him. And we'll see. We'll see what happens. I wonder what he's – I wonder what the Probably problem is. I don't know. Uh, so let's go to everyone. One of one of the many favorite segments here at JT in the Dawn, weekend predictions. JT, are you ready? Yep, let's go. Let's run through these. All right, Notre Dame at UNC. For all intents and purposes, it's, it's got to be UNC. Woo, I got them too, actually. I'm taking UNC as well. The Iron Bowl, Auburn at Alabama. Who you got? Not this year, it's Bama. Yep, I got Bama as well. A game you talked about in the NFL, Ravens at Steelers. Uh, hopefully the Ravens are all healthy, but I got to go with the Steelers because I don't think they get enough guys cleared in time to play you on Thursday. Yeah, I'm going to go Steelers as well. I picked the Ravens last time, but going to go Steelers this time. Hopefully uh, – I don't jinx them. Titans at Colts. This is tough because this is another game that's being played again in close proximity. I think the Colts do it again. They got a really good defense. You've seen them play against yeah. Aaron Rodgers. They did pretty well at the end of the game, and they basically destroyed the Titans a couple couple of weeks ago on Thursday night. I think they do it again. I'm going to go Titans this time. I think the Titans know they need to win. They will figure it out, and they will ride their – guy derrick henry and then they ride him every every week (laughs) especially this week though another game you alluded to chiefs at bucks who you got chiefs i think they're coming out of the bye with they're on another level i think they get it done i'm gonna go with the chiefs as well so the only game we disagree on titans colts that'll determine the winner of weekend predictions i see what you're doing you're trying to mirror me so your record improves i got you jt Let's go. Let's do some shout outs before we go. Who's your shout out for this week? Ashley, I'll let you go first. Who's your shout out? My shout out is to the Monday Night Football crew. 
Okay, the, we got the same one. I didn't know if you had that one. Okay, <laughs> yep. In the LA Rams Tampa Bay Buccaneers game, it was the first all black officiating crew in NFL history led by Jerome uh, Boger. Congrats to those guys. And that was awesome to see. And it was great that they were uh, acknowledged by ESPN and a lot of the analysts. So great job. That's my shout out. And it sounds like that's JT shout out as yes, well. That is my shout out. Congratulations. Also um, a surprise shout out, uh, Erica Ruiz, uh, she was the only female agent with a player that was drafted in the 2020 NBA draft. So uh, definitely, I feel like I didn't I didn't really hear that many places. I read it online, but did not know she was an agent. But uh, shout out to getting her client paid. Congratulations. Now, before we go, actually, we're going to bring back a segment we haven't done in a while. Surprise, JT. This is always my favorite. JT, just two questions this time, and I know you haven't prepped for it. Of course With not. Thanksgiving NFL games, you have Detroit and Dallas this year. Obviously, both teams not good. Detroit hasn't been good in a while. That Thanksgiving game for Detroit hasn't meant a lot a lot of times. <laughs> but do you think the NFL – should start to get away from the tradition of Detroit and Dallas playing home games every Thanksgiving. Yeah, because what I think they're going to, they should do is whoever like the hottest teams are, they're going to have to start treating it like the NBA Christmas games and just put the matchups that everyone wants to see on, in those slots. Like the Ravens and Steelers, brilliant. Everyone wants to see them, put them on, put them on uh, Thanksgiving primetime. I don't really want to see the Lions. I'm mostly ignoring them and just waiting for the food to be ready at that point. But yeah, if, if the teams aren't good, don't put them on Thanksgiving. What about two weeks in advance if they start doing it as a flex? Because you might have, you know, you, you may have put in, oh, the Eagles are playing so-and-so and then those teams aren't good and you're still stuck with this, right? Why not flex Oh, Some yeah, of the games, absolutely. I think I'm not play. saying it doesn't need to be the best. The best one should still be the Thursday night uh, Thanksgiving game. But those two afternoon ones could at least have one playoff team in. It doesn't even need to be the Bucks and the Chiefs. But, you know, if you get a Colts Titans, that's pretty good. It's a really or, good game. Or if you get Chargers Bills, you know, you've got at least one playoff team in a team that can have a chance to beat. Well, well also too it gets really tricky and they'll really have to do it the schedule right from the start because what you don't want is one of those six teams having played the thursday before or you know they have like a monday night game and then they gotta turn back around and play on thursday but that's what i'm saying maybe yeah. two weeks out yeah maybe two weeks out they can read yeah i agree you with can that. figure it out because you're right if 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 you have the buccaneers playing monday night they can't play thursday yeah, right. yeah, I agree. But then the Buccaneers just don't play on Thanksgiving. You, you, find, you find another game. Yeah, Lions and any, any other sorry teams have to go on Thanksgiving. We, it, we're stuck at home. We want to see good football. And you know what? Our age, it, it's, it pains me. Your age. Say, it pains me. No, our age. It pains me to say that because I want to see Detroit on Thanksgiving. I don't. I remember, I remember those Barry Sanders days where no matter how bad they were, they always showed up for that game. Well, Barry Sanders hasn't played ages. <laughs> I it's, know, but it's, 
But that's what I'm saying. It's Adrian Peterson, the ghost of Adrian <laughs> Peterson and the ghost of Matthew Stafford. No thanks. No, I'd rather see someone else play. Give me an opportunity to see some teams I never get to see play just because I, we're on the East Coast. Shoot, put Russ but, on Thanksgiving. I want to see Russ play. I know, but you're missing my whole point. My whole point is it's tough for me to say no because of that tradition, you know, because because of the history behind it. So anyway, Time's you obviously don't appreciate uh, tradition in the NFL. Sorry, I don't appreciate seeing the Lions on Thanksgiving. Sorry, guilty so, of The other question I want to ask you and surprise JT is I don't know if you heard this, but supposedly Tom Brady for the second time this year shunned a fellow quarterback. I did. He did not want to shake Jared Goff's hand yes. after the game. And he did that against Nick Foles earlier on the Thursday night game in Chicago. And I believe for the Chicago game, he said he just he didn't he didn't know if he wanted to shake hands or he just kind of lost track of what was going on. He lost track of the downs as well in that game. So, JT, do you give Tom Brady a pass on this or is he being a little bit too, um, you know, pompous about things, thinking he's too good now? Oh, absolutely. I give him zero pass. He's acting like an arrogant jackass. That's exactly what he's doing. And if you are a quarterback that he thinks that he shouldn't lose to and be upstaged by, because it was on a Thursday night game and on a Monday night game, so that means this was the only game on that everybody was watching. You got outplayed in those games. You got to go, you know, you got to suck that up. So, yeah, I think it's just him and his ego, and he's just used to winning. So if he doesn't like the situation, he's going to walk off. It's Tom Brady. No one's going to say anything bad about it. But, yeah, he's definitely being arrogant. I don't like it. Well, you heard it there first from JT. He's putting Tom Brady in his place. This is why people hate Tom Brady, just letting you know. Like, it, I had so many text messages last night of people, like, that last drive, like, watch, he's going to show he's washed up on this drive, and he didn't convert. And they're like, see, that's why we hate him. Like, it's exactly the every text message I had had that tone to it. Everyone's, everyone's going to hate you when you are the best and you've got six Super Bowls. I mean, come on, that's expected. Mm -hmm. Well, JT, it was a great episode. Thank you again to our guests, Rob Givens and Connor, Coach Connor Cassidy. Great job to those guys. Thank you again to them. JT, one heck of a show, man. Great job as always. We even we put a little bit of extra time into this on Thanksgiving week. So to everyone out there, thank you for listening to us, all of our loyal fans and listeners, and have a happy and safe Thanksgiving. And remember to subscribe to us, JT and, and the Don. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and whatever platform you listen to all of your other favorite podcasts. And remember, if you like what we do, leave us a five-star review. And JT, if you don't like what we do, leave us a five-star review. And you can follow us on social media, our handle, JT and the Don. We can be found on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So, JT, happy Thanksgiving to you and the family, man. Same and to you. Thank you. And until the next episode, see you. Peace.